693 of the sleeper in the bust it is tuesday may 21st i'm your host paul spore and it's another solo dolo um back on episode 687 i'm surprised that there were that many episodes in between the last time i did this and i just did it last week but uh podcasts we've been we've been churning them out um i covered the first 10 uh, in al- going in alphabetical order by first, you know, by city team name, the first 10 rotations, just kind of doing rotation check-ins here. And I'm going to do the second 10 today and then the third 10 later this week. So we'll have them all out within about a 10 day stretch. Um, should be, let's see. Yeah, that would give me till about Saturday to do, uh, this, the third one after I do this one, I still, want to laugh let's all let's all enjoy enjoy a hearty laugh at the idea that me paul sporer was going to talk about 30 teams full rotations in one show that's hilarious very dumb but anyway go check out that first one episode 687 um, this will lead up very nicely too. I, you know, I'll do the 10 today. I'll go, go Houston through Oakland and then finish it off with the last 10. And then shortly after that, we'll be having a, a an upgrade, uh, a rankings upgrade for June. So it all kind of works out pretty nicely here to do this. And I'll probably do this again, maybe in July. I'm not going to do it every single month, but I think it'll be good to do in, in July again after another couple months of time so let's just jump into it and talk about this Houston ball club and you know what what more can we really say except for the fact that it's just a consistent embarrassment of riches for them it maybe hasn't panned out exactly how they thought the the makeup of the of the rotation but you still have the two uber aces out front um yeah Cole has a 356 ERA I, I could not be less concerned about that um, if I tried, I mean, I, I, I cannot make up any concerns whatsoever, you know, whether you, whether you fully subscribe to FIP or not, the 274 for him, for Cole, I mean, is the best on the team by far. In fact, he and Verlander are kind of rocking, you know, inverse ERA FIP numbers where Verlander's ERA is 238, FIP 385, and then 356 ERA for Cole, 274 FIP. I worry about neither um Verlander's just you know his hit suppression has been off the charts his left on base rate is a comical 96 percent and he's still allowing some homers because that's what Verlander does he's always done that um you know watching him come up in Detroit and and when he's on he's just not he's just not afraid to give up homers now this year 1.5 clip I mean that's that's high and that that kind of goes with what we're seeing as far as uh, league-wide here with home runs being up. But one of the things I've noticed, and it's not every home run. I'm not saying he never gets got uh, in, a t- in a tough situation or when he doesn't want to. But a lot of Verlander's home runs are solo shots, and a lot of times they're to clowns that he's just not going to walk, not going to be afraid of. And if you can hit it, congratulations he'll even hat tip you i mean i don't think he really tips his hat but he'll just you know fine you got me well done man i was going to challenge you because i don't respect you as a hitter and i'm not afraid of you in any way shape or form so here it is hit it and if you look one two three four five 
Six of the 11 home runs that Verlander has given up have been solo shots and the only run of the game. And he's just not afraid. And he won most of those. He lost. Uh, he took a loss in, in the Minnesota one. Let's see how that broke down there. That Verlander gave up the home run. I guess made it 1-0. And then the bullpen gave up some runs. Or was that a 1-0? Oh, wait. Sorry. I was looking at his record. I, I saw 4-1. I was like, wait, what? No, that was literally a 1-0 game. So, you know, he didn't want to give up. Oh, that was the one that he gave up to Erie Adrianza. But even that is like a challenge of Erie Adrianza, am I saying that right? A-Ray. I-Ray? I-Ray, according to uh, Baseball Reference. That's like a number eight hitter hitting 188. He's just like, here it is, hit it. It happened to be the only run of the game because Odorizzi shut down uh, Houston. And normally that that home run to uh, Adrianza wouldn't hurt Verlander. But anyway, enough time on him. We know what he is. He's excellent. It's you know we don't need to spend so much time on the studs. Verlander Cole studs. Um, the reason I mentioned that it might not be panning out exactly how they thought is that Colin McHugh was supposed to be a part of this rotation. You know they lost McCullers to injury. They let Keuchel go. And so there is a little bit of a different makeup this year. It's like, well, they'll just pull two guys. <laughs> the beauty of this team is like, oh, and uh, Charlie Morton left via free agency as well. So two guys left via free agency, although one is still out there. And then one guy via injury. So they only had, you know, 40% of their rotation coming in. It was the two best parts, but that that was it. They signed Wade Miley. You, you just knew he was going to continue to be useful. It, it, it's wild. 351 ERA, 117 whip. Yeah, he doesn't strike out guys. Who cares? I mean, it, it it's working. Like, I think it needs to be on a roster just because Houston's so good and and what they're able to do. Uh, Miley, you know, he's solid. And then they brought the two guys from the bullpen with Brad Peacock and Colin McHugh, who've been starters before. And you know, let's see how this goes with them. McHugh just fell apart, and it it wasn't like that all year. In fact, if you look at it through four starts. He was great. 196 ERA. The strikeouts were there. He'd only allowed one homer, um, six innings and in three of the four starts. It was awesome. And then he goes to Texas and they tore him apart. And even that was like, okay, you know, that sucks. But going to Texas and getting shredded is just nothing to really, you know, hold your head down about because they're, they're good. And uh, first off, that park is always going to be difficult. But then the fact that that lineup is, is sneak tip nice this year, that, that, that's just kind of how it goes. Well, then his next start out, he gives up three solos to Cleveland. He, McHugh did strike out nine, but it wasn't that great of a bounce back. And then, you know, four runs and six innings to Minnesota. A survival start, but it was only two strikeouts. It was kind of eh. But then KC shredded him. And that's when it was like, okay, there's something going on here with McHugh. And if you kind of look at the four starts uh, as a group from the Texas one through the KC one for McHugh, you have 18 innings of a 12 ERA, which is uh, 24 earned runs, 24 hits, 7 walks, 15 strikeouts, 8 home runs. 8. Now, I guess they just deemed it a problem that, uh, you know, you can't start. You got to get out of there because... When it's that bad, when it's that bad, normally you're like, that's an injury. I mean, that is that is usually an IL stint. 
But they put McHugh in the bullpen. Um, his first outing back uh, from the bullpen was an inning of two-thirds, gave up a run and on two walks to Texas at home. But then two clean, two perfect innings, actually, against Detroit. No hits, no walks, no runs, four strikeouts. So maybe he's going to find his footing there. I'm sure he'll get another spot start or two at some point during the year, just kind of you know, the way they work, the back end of the rotation, they kind of have their, their stability up front for Houston, and then they kind of mix and match from there. Peacock's worked out. Um, he's returned to the rotation. He was great in 2017, 132 innings of a 3 ERA, 119 whip, bunch of strikeouts. Went to the bullpen last year, only got one start, so he had 65 innings where he was pretty pretty good. But home runs were a bit of an issue. In fact, he gave up a, one more homer in 65 innings than he had in all 132 innings the year before. So homers were a bit of an issue, but he still struck out 96 in 65 innings, making him a pretty useful guy to have in your bullpen there for Brad Peacock. And then this year he comes into the rotation, and he's been strong. Uh, two rough outings are the only you know black marks on his ledger, and one of them was at Minnesota, and we know how difficult they are this year. And the other was home against Oakland. They got him for 5-5. Five that was the second start of the year. Just a tough one. I mean, it, it was just a bad start. There's not really like, you know, one catastrophic inning or I, I don't recall anything from it. Now, I don't I don't have that start log to memory. For those that don't know, um, I live in Texas and the stupid blackout rules prevent me from watching Texas and Houston on AtBat or, or MLB.TV. Same, same thing. Well, AtBat is just on the, uh, on the iPad. And so they're like, oh, you know, the idea, I guess, is that you'll watch it local. Okay, well, I'll do that with Texas. I got Fox Sports Southwest. For Houston, I believe that they're only on one cable provider. I think it's like the AT&T one or something. But they're not on Google Fiber. And they weren't on Spectrum when I had them, which was Time Warner. So I don't know how the hell I'm supposed to watch them. And it's absolutely ridiculous. Now, guys, I'm on the internet. I, I understand, you know. You don't have to message me saying, well, here's how you could. I'm saying, though, I can't straight up watch Houston. What do you want? More money? Okay. Tell me. Tell me what the way to do, do it is. But I'm not going to be limited to one effing provider to watch Houston. That's that's garbage. And and so it really annoys me. So I'm not as locked in on, on being able to watch them as I'd like to be outside of having to go back and watch games, which I do. You know, um... Uh, for those that don't know, and I don't know how you couldn't know this, but maybe you're brand new, in which case, hi, welcome. Um, I'm a huge Justin Verlander fan, you know, from his days with the Tigers. I'm a diehard Tigers fan. So I just, he's my favorite pitcher pretty much ever. I mean, Pedro um, is up there as well, but I, you know, Justin Verlander just following his whole career, you know, once you start to get those guys, depending on, on your age and how much you follow baseball, I've been following it since I was a kid, but really taking it, you know, super, super seriously started at, in my late teens and into college. And so being able to follow someone's career, you know, front to front to back here, and obviously we're not done with Verlander's career, but, you know, you kind of have a little bit more affinity for, for those players, maybe even more than, than, the, than the childhood guys that you liked. 
uh, because you just like them. You know, you watch them on TV, but but you're a kid. You're, you're a dopey-ass kid. Uh, but anyway, love Verlander, so I'll go back and watch his starts, uh, some Peacock starts. I watched a couple of McHugh starts this year. The bottom line is I, I haven't watched as much uh, Houston these past couple of years as I'd like, and they're an excellent team. And so it sucks that I have to miss them, but that's just kind of the way it is. But anyway, I only I use that as a jump-off. Uh, I was just going to say, if anybody w- did know that something went wrong in that Oakland start, the second start of the year for Peacock, m- maybe there was. But it looks like just a standard rough start. Um, and then the start at Minnesota where he gave up seven and three and two-thirds, the last inning unraveled on him. It was three strong innings, and then in the fourth, six runs on six hits, and they just clobbered him. And, I mean, that's that's a bad start, too. I'm not, I don't use you know having one bad inning or anything like that to to say that the start doesn't count or anything like that. That's that's not what it is. But it does give a color to to what happened and you can understand what well, was it consistent struggles or you know did you have kind of a confined period of trouble. I do think that that matters. That's one of the reasons I look at game logs in general, right? Not every ERA is is made up the same way. Um, you know, I say this a lot and it never happens, but like a 450 ERA where it's just six and three every time out is, you know, fine, particularly for real life. But in the fantasy realm, you'd be like, eh, he's just pretty bland. You know, that's kind of, that's, that's almost what Mike Leake does uh, at times. Actually, not, that's not even true though. Um, because seemingly every year there's a period of, of quality for even, you know, a Mike Leake type. So nobody really does that. But I do like to look at the game logs to see, are they consistently kind of mediocre? Or do they have spikes of, of excellence for five, six, seven starts, a couple duds, back on track, dud, back on track. And then if, the, if there's a guy like that and the duds kind of have rhyme or reason to them, maybe it's difficult ballparks or really difficult lineups, then you can be like, well, I can I can curate this man. I'll let him avoid these particular matchups or these particular ballparks, and all of a sudden you're taking that that 350 ERA and you're turning it into a three ERA, or or you're taking the 450 ERA and you're turning it into 370 stuff like that. So, uh, but anyway, Peacock is is a set and forget for me right now. He has two bad starts. Those 12 earned uh, out of 19. I mean that so that's doing the bulk. Of damage, he bounced back with seven shutout and twelve strikeouts against KC. Decent outing against Detroit. They did get him a little bit. Uh, four walks. They couldn't take full advantage, but he he was out after five and then five shutout on only two hits and nine strikeouts for Peacock against Chicago just yesterday on Monday the twentieth. So he's been good. Um, and then because McHugh flopped, they called up Corbin Martin, which a lot of folks would not have guessed. They would have, of course, put. Uh, put Forrest Whitley as the guy that would come up if anything happened with somebody in the in the rotation or actually what it was supposed to be this year the 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 ideal for fantasy folks is what we wanted was um Brad Peacock and James uh, Josh James to be the guys to take it well then Josh James he was competing for a starter spot in spring suffered an injury and they said you know what he's out of the rotation competition we're going to start him in the bullpen and, and we'll take it from there and, and see if he can get in. I'll do more on James here in a moment. But Corbin Martin's come up. He is a legitimate prospect, um, not to the level of a Forrest Whitley. I mean, few are. Forrest Whitley is arguably the, the most exciting pitching prospect in all of baseball. But Corbin Martin was the number three prospect in Houston's system on our list. I mean, that's saying something um, because it's 
it's freaking Houston. So, you know, I don't think it got enough shine and maybe we should have been more in tune. And maybe you dynasty folks were, I mean, I'm sure dynasty folks were, but even some of us in, in, um, in season long in redraft leagues should have been more in tune with Corbin Martin because they gave him a 2019 ETA and I didn't really hear him discussed. It was all, it was all James and Whitley and not enough Martin. And so he comes up and, uh, you know, he's, he's been interesting so far. He's only had a couple starts. The first one was really sharp. And, and then the second one at Boston was a predictable struggle Four walks, no strikeouts, only had two swinging strikes. Um, it was rough. So he, he does well against Texas. Boston says, welcome to the league rook. And now we're kind of, we're kind of left here and, and seeing where he's going to go from here for Corbin Martin, but he's got three pitches. Um, the command can be a little bit shaky and we, we saw that in, in the outing against Boston and, and we'll kind of see where he goes from here. It was interesting because, um, the, the Texas start was on May 12th, which was a Sunday, which was last Sunday. And so he was not available in the NFBC leagues. Uh, you know, once if you make your debut on Sunday, you're not going to be available for that night's bids. You need another week. And so I think having the bad start at Boston tamped down the bids a little bit. Now, if he goes into Boston and if Corbin Martin would have struck out, you know, another nine um, in five innings, of course, that would have sent his price sky high. Now, he didn't come cheaply. In fact, I'm pulling up my list right now. Let me see here. Hang on one second. I made a little handy dandy list. Well, actually, I was scrolling by here and I saw the uh, labor mixed. In labor mixed, actually, he was probably available in labor mixed that night. So he didn't go. Yeah, I'm sure he went the week before. But anyway, in NFBC, Corbin Martin went for a max of 355 out of 1,000, a minimum of 70. Wow, that, that, that was the low end. Nice. The average win was 157. And the average split between the the winner and the runner-up was $46. So Martin, you know, he's going to have a little bit of a leash here to kind of see what he can do as part of the rotation. Whitley, for his part, hasn't been, you know, tearing it up in the minors. And, you know, we're going to see what 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 happens with him. He, in fact, he's been getting torn up. He has a 1048 ERA and 184 whip. Yikes. I mean, that's... That's tough. I'm sure there's uh I'm I'm kind of looking right now. I mean, it is just consistent poor outings right now for Forrest Whitley in these 22 and a third. There isn't like a, a really bad start or two really bad starts. It's, you know, he started with 5 innings, 2 runs, okay. 5 runs on an a th- inning and a third, 4 and 2 thirds, 1 run. Three innings, four runs, two thirds, five runs, three and two thirds, five runs, four innings, four runs. So the PCL has not been kind to Forrest Whitley. And, you know, he's coming with with all of about uh, 40 innings of double A experience and coming up to triple A. And so he is still learning on the job uh, as a 21 year old. But again, big time prospect, you know. Tamp down maybe what you expect out of Forrest Whitley coming into this year, but I don't think this does anything to, you know, dissuade me that he's going to be a premium arm um, long term. But I do think it it brings it, it it lengthens what Corbin Martin can do as far as having a leash. It uh, opens up the door maybe a little bit for JB Bukowskis to be the next guy called up, uh, although he's only at Double A. 
And so he only has 30 innings there, and he hasn't been good. So I'll actually table that as well. So that, well, okay, then we'll say Corbin Martin has his leash. But then that brings us back to somebody I mentioned earlier, Josh James. Now, he was a big, big time uh, hot pickup coming into the coming into the season in the very early drafts, the fall drafts, even before we were uh, before we flipped the calendar to 2019. Josh James was a hot ticket item. Then, like I said, he suffered that injury and everyone's like, okay, well, he's out of the mix there. Let's see what happens with him going forward. So he's been in the bullpen. Few bad outings in April, really. You know, he he didn't have it. And um, he started off okay. Four strikeouts in two of his first three outings. Here we go. This guy's going to be a premium bullpen arm this year. And then he gives up six runs in two innings combined um, in two outings on April 7th and April 10th. And it was a two-inning outing and then a zero-inning outing. Like, he didn't get a single out when he gave up four of those runs. And then he has a couple of scoreless outings and then back for another five earned in three innings. So the bottom line in, in April was a 736 ERA with 21 strikeouts and 14 and two-thirds. Not so great. So far in May, though, he's really found his footing. He hasn't allowed a single run in nine innings, just two hits, two walks, 13 strikeouts. Looks like Josh James has finally settled down. I think he would get the next shot um, if an opening occurred in the Astros rotation right now. I think it would be Josh James getting his opportunity even over McHugh. Let's see what James could do if if things kind of lined up, right? If they needed a guy, say, in, in a day or two and James had maybe just pitched that night, you know, two innings or something, he might not be ready to stretch out in that, you know, the next day or, or two days down the road. But if he if if he was open and, and ready to be able to pitch and they could say, okay, you haven't pitched in two days, we're going to hold you in for this another two days and you're going to be starting here, I could see that. So James is somebody that recently got picked up in a lot of NFBC leagues. He had been cut and now f- folks are holding him as a nice bullpen piece. You could have yourself a starter at some point down the line. So hang on to him. And frankly, 20 minutes per team, this ain't going to work, Paul. We got to pick up the pace. But you know what? We got a pace picker upper right here with Kansas City because no, there's just nothing really here. Um, Sorry, Brad Keller. Don't throw a baseball at me, but no. Um, Remember when Homer Bailey had had a couple good starts and the splitter was working? I remember when I tweeted out about that. I was just like, hey. He's, you know, he's, he's, the splitter's looking good after a couple games. Tweeting something out like that is, is not saying, go get this guy. He is a stud now. I was just sharing. I was like, you know, his his splitter's been awesome. This was another solid start. He has three gems so far. I, I I even said, um, this is kind of interesting though. I am a former fan. Bailey fanboy, so maybe I'm just wanting it to be something. That was how I ended the the couple of tweets that I did when Homer Bailey started the season off all right. I didn't pick him up anywhere, and I didn't recommend anybody do it. I just was kind of keeping an eye on it, seeing, okay, you know, if this turns into something, then we'll act. This was one where I was totally fine if I got scooped, right? Because a lot of times a guy has one good outing and folks are out there jumping on him because that's just the the fantasy environment that we're in now. Um, you know, act now, ask questions later. And I get it. And I, I play, I play into it because we have to, 
I wasn't doing that with Bailey, though. I was saying, okay, I'm going to wait and see how this goes. Pretty much since that tweet, that was after the start in New York where against the Yankees where he looked sharp. Uh, he has a 645 ERA in 22 and a third innings with 15 strikeouts, 13 walks. He's been terrible because he's still Homer Bailey. Turns out. Turns out he's still Homer Bailey. Uh, Jake Junis couldn't really muster any interest in him coming into the season home run machine. And uh, it's certainly hurting him. You know, he doesn't strike out enough guys. He, and this year, what's really hurting Jake Junis, besides everything, but what's really hurting him com- in comparison to the previous two seasons is that he's walking guys. He had a 6% rate uh, in his first two seasons, 17 and 18. And this year, Junis is walking 9%. And those extra walks are turning the home runs into bigger damage. And so, no. Uh, I already mentioned Keller. No, Duffy is about the only thing that is slightly of interest. And I think you're talking AL only to really get me to even care. Um, And even then I'm like, I hope this doesn't obliterate my ERA and whip. And so you look at his four starts in May. He does have a 304 ERA in 22 and two-thirds with 22 strikeouts, but he's also allowed 24 hits, so the whip is up there a bit. You know, I'm kind of keeping it at arm's length here. Do not rush out and, and, and get done. I'm sure he's, honestly, I'm sure he's on rosters in a lot of leagues, including my NFBC leagues. Let me look. Just because he's been good before and he has a pulse, I bet folks have already scooped him up. Let me see what leagues he's available in for me. Yeah, okay, he's, he's gone in my 15-teamers. He's available in my 12-teamers. That's the way it should be with Danny Duffy. So, you know, his last start out at L.A., not bad. Uh, home against Texas, he allowed four and five innings. He did strike out six, only walked one, and it was one bad inning. It was a four-run inning. Okay, he survived in Houston. He survived at home, or not survived. He was strong against Tampa Bay at home. So, you know, there's been something there with Duffy. Can keep him on the radar. 12-team, if, if he has a two-start coming up, maybe you consider that. This week he goes, he he's hosts New York, the Yankees, and then goes to Texas the following week. So that's a no for me on Duffy right now. The week after that will likely be a two-start if those matchups are strong and he doesn't just get his yeah, face cave, caved in in these next two starts. Then you can consider Duffy. Um, Jorge Lopez... I wish that could become a thing because he, he does have some swing and miss capability to his game when he's on, but nah, nah. All right, moving on. Next up is the Los Angeles Angels. You know, I wanted them to find some success this year because they have Mike Trout. That's that's the real reason. And, and, and Shohei Otani too. I like I like Otani. And they're you know they're only a few games under five hundred, which isn't too bad considering some of the things that they've gotten or, or haven't gotten, as it were, uh, particularly with their pitching. I thought that they could be a fringe contender if the starting pitching came through, and it decidedly hasn't. And so that's that's been a problem for, for the Angels. And they really needed to spike something from one of the guys that they picked up while also getting the guys that they already have to remain good. Um, and, and they haven't gotten that either. So the fact that they're even just three games under 500, I think is a bit of an achievement for them. Right now, their best starter isn't even a true starter. 
and that's Felix Pena, because he's been coming in after an opener. So he's he's been in the follower role or whatever you want to call it. Um, follower role seems to be perfectly fine for me. So they started that with him on uh, April 24th. His first four starts were fine. He had a 4.15 ERA through them, but he had gone three and two thirds, four and two thirds, four and five. And so they were probably saying, you know what? We can put you in a better position to get wins, which, you know, they pay in arbitration. <laughs> as, as silly as it is, it's an easy sell for the starting bag. Listen, I know you probably want to come out there from, from pitch one, but we can get you some pitcher wins. Wouldn't that be neato? And he's like, oh, cool. Yeah, pitcher wins. Love those. And so over his last five, he has been pitching from the second inning on. Felix Pena has. He's gone five, four and a third, seven. And that was against the Tigers. He decimated my Tigers. And then back-to-back fives against Minnesota, both of which were were fine. So you add it all up there. He's got five starts against the Yankees, uh, Blue Jays, Tigers, and Minnesota, Minnesota. So three toughies, uh, a super easy, and and a pretty easy as far as uh, Toronto and Detroit being. You can you can pick dealer's choice which one you want to say is super easy, and and pretty easy. I, I don't know. They're probably both just super easy. But the other three were legitimately difficult. And uh, Pena has a 2.73 ERA with 26 strikeouts in 26 in the third innings. He is only 2-0 and during those. So he's gotten two, two wins. They were against the easy teams because, you know, his offense didn't really support him against the other three three ball clubs. But he it wasn't for anything that Pena didn't do. He handled his own. Only two walks in that time, too. So I do like that. He's been interesting. I think he's really starting to get picked up. In just about every league, I know that uh, where I really like him, it's it's a it's a niche thing, and I mentioned it last year with the uh, Ryan Yarbros of the world, and it was really pretty much Yarbro and Chirinos because they were uh, the Rays were really doing it most with the uh, um, with the opener, but where Pena is really valuable is in in head to head leagues where you have a starts limit. And that is that just makes him super valuable because they don't count his starts. So he's like a super reliever. And so I really do like that. I, I play in one such league, and so I have been enjoying that. And I'm actually looking right now, and I'm kind of surprised that he wasn't in my head-to-head league. My pitching's been pretty good. My hitting, not that not that anyone cares, but but now I'm now I'm going to pick up Pena. Anyway, moving on, Tyler Skaggs has been brutal. That was one of the guys that they needed to be good to really uh to really do anything this year. I thought he needed to kind of be himself, be solid. Uh Skaggs and Heaney kind of needed to lead off the front of the rotation and then one of like Harvey or Cahill kind of needed to spike for them to be solid. They've both been brutal. They both have ERAs over 6, so I'm not going to talk about Harvey or Cahill, other than to say what I'm saying right now, which is ignore them. Just just don't. Just no. How about no? Uh, with Skaggs, there is some room for hope, though. He does have a 501 ERA. Um, we call that a Jeans ERA. No, we don't call that a Jeans ERA. God! But he does have a 140 whip. That's been rough. Um, a 316 Babbitt cannot explain all of that away. That's been that's been on Skaggs being a bit too hittable. 425th though, that's that gives you a little intrigue there that he can still get on track a bit and, and find some things to kind of get back in in line with what he did the previous three years. The fact of the matter is, for all the intrigue that he had coming into the season, and he was kind of a 
a a flashy mid-tier pick. Folks were chasing him. Like Skaggs was desired in drafts. For all of that, we're still looking at a guy who's a career 448 ERA. And you can give him some pass for injuries, but okay, let me be favorable and just go off of his fit. It's 409. And, you know, a, four, a true talent four has some fantasy value, especially with some strikeout upside. But I think we were kind of putting a lot on, on development here. And he cannot seem to avoid the blow-up start. That's that's what I continue to notice with Tyler Skaggs. And, you know, I talk, I've talked about this before on the pod. Last year's numbers were really blown up. And I understand. So what I'm going to say is, I understand why there was some hype coming into this year because if you kind of acknowledge that 17 of his 56 earned runs came in two starts surrounding like before and after injury and and the one that came after was like he returned, he got blown up for 7 and went back on the IL or DL at that time again. So that's 30% of his earned runs when he clearly wasn't right. And so if you kind of look at that and say, well what if I, you know, what if I take those out? And kind of look at the other 119 innings on their own. What's a 295 ERA for Skaggs? So I, I do understand that. I, I was I was underselling him a little bit coming in, saying, "Well, people should have known." No, no, no. I, I get it. And I was I was there thinking, yes, he can be kind of the the frontliner, not not an ace, not a true ace, but he can be kind of the frontliner for this ball club. And then we'll see if they can get anything else to go around him with like a Heaney or a Harvey or a Cahill. And, and build a bullpen, and, and we'll see. I ranked him 67th coming into the season. That's firmly in line with kind of the sleeper guys that, that you like, you know, a, a McHugh, um, Luke Weaver, Sonny Gray, um, Jeff Samarja had some love for him coming. Brandon Woodruff, my guy. I, you know, I had Skaggs a few spots ahead of Brandon Woodruff, and I loved Woodruff. I had Domingo Herman uh, up there at 75. So, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to front here and pretend like uh, there was no reason to have interest in Skaggs coming into the year. It has gone south, though. I would probably speculate if he found himself available in a fifteen-teamer. I doubt he is, though. I think he has too much name value for that to happen. Um, and like I said, there is some underlying stuff that kind of says. Mm, Maybe don't quit him. But like I said, can't avoid the blow-up start. Tyler Skaggs, seven earned and four and two-thirds at Detroit. Blow-up start against a bad team. Like, what, dude? Always seems to happen. So he's a true talent, kind of four, four-and-a-half-ish type of guy. I think you kind of work work off the uh, the 420 FIP and and go from there with Skaggs. One guy I will highlight here and then we'll move on is, is Griffin Canning. Now, he's been... Uh, very interesting this year and giving them a little bit of now again i'm going to go back to what i was saying earlier how nice this could have been if skaggs could have done his thing uh heaney being solid and healthy too and i will get to him in a moment because he has, actually is um he is health or, or getting healthy he had a 10 strikeout uh rehab start just yesterday but if they could, and then they could have gotten, you know, one of the one of the pickups, one of the bargain bin pickups, Cahill or Harvey, and then you bring up Canning, who was their number four prospect this year. Ah, that could have been something something nice there, especially with what Pena is doing. Canning has been a swing and miss beast. His eighteen percent swinging strike rate has been really interesting. 
giving him a 28% strikeout rate in his 27, or excuse me, 21 of the third innings. Now, he hasn't really gone deep in the games. That's definitely been a bit of an issue for Canning. Um, and he has a 380 ERA, 108 whip. I do like that. You could really see this turning into something useful. Uh, he's already he's already on a team in just about every league. I think he's still being kind of uh, streamed a bit in 10-teamers. I, I would I would consider hanging on to Canning. I think there's enough upside here that you know if the schedule really kind of married, uh, especially coming off a seven inning scoreless start against KC, if he's really starting to put some things together, this is a train you want to be aboard. 18, 17, 13, and 16. Those are his swinging strike totals in his four starts for Griffin Canning. He's a 23 year old um, out of UCLA. He threw 113 innings last year. Um, he was, he was drafted in 17. Was he hurt? I mean, they don't always pitch after the, the draft season, but I am surprised, or maybe they had a long season. I don't know how UCLA did in 2017. Maybe that's why he didn't pitch because he didn't pitch after being drafted in 17, but then last year got 113 innings. Um, so, you know, he shouldn't be super limited. I feel like he should be able to get to 160 innings if everything's going well with Griffin Canning. So I, I I do like him. I do think you should, you should have him on a roster in every 15 team league. He already, he already is. I'm, I'm sure of it. Uh, I mean, check your waiver wire, but I'm sure of it. 12 team. I think he needs to be on a roster as well. 10 team. I think is where he would still be available because people are streaming him and you might consider, you might consider just hanging on. I, I would say consider just hanging on to Griffin Canning there. So we talked about Pena, Canning, Skaggs. Oh yeah, Heaney. Uh, let me pull up something real quick here. Sorry, I didn't have my news, my news on lock just yet. Now I have that site pulled up. So Heaney just yesterday uh, struck out ten in a rehab. I believe it was yesterday, Monday the twentieth. Let me see here. Yes, first rehab start with Triple A Salt Lake. Uh, struck out 10 and four and a third scoreless. You like that 73 pitches. Uh, they're saying that he could rejoin the rotation as early as Sunday against the Rangers. If things kind of continue and he, and he looks healthy after this, you know, I, I think at worst he would need another rehab start and then come back the following week. You need to go see if Heaney's available and spec on him in your, in your fifteens and probably your twelves tens. Uh, I think you can wait and see. But I think in 12s, you might want to jump it jump it early. If you're in a, like a daily moves league, jump it now and just see because Heaney could definitely be something. I mean, injuries, as with Skaggs, have really torn apart his career and, and limited what he's been able to do. But he did put up 180 innings last year of a 415 ERA with 180 strikeouts on the button. So he was a strikeout per inning type of guy. And, um, you know, would go deep into games with some decent regularity, uh, more than six innings and in 12 of his 30 starts. That's not bad. I don't, I don't know how good, I don't know what the rate is for like a mid tier starter, but you know, guys go like five and six so much these days that to see some, a, a nine, three eights and one, two, three, four, five, six, six sevens. And then a couple six and a thirds for Heaney last year. That's nice. He did have a handful of blow up starts as anybody will. But uh, of the four really poor starts, one was against San Francisco at home. That one sucks because you're taking that one on the chin. But two were in Boston and in Houston. 
you could have avoided those. So you probably got better than a 4.15 ERA if you were in a shallower league kind of curating Heaney's innings. So we'll see how the elbow holds up. He could be interesting for them. I don't rule out this team from making a run. Now, we'll actually, hang on. We'll see what happens with Angleton Simmons and Shohei Otani. Uh, both of them got hurt yesterday. And if either of them is hurt for a long time, that's going to really cut a big leg out from them. But I, I, I keep I keep hoping this team can do something simply because I want Mike Trout in the playoffs. So that that's where I'm at with them. But let's stay in L.A. and move over to the other team that's uh, you know a bit more interesting with their pitching, he says, as a, a massive understatement. They're way more interesting. The Dodgers, uh, they're doing... You know, they're doing their thing. They're doing their Dodgeritis thing, as Nick Pollock of PitcherList likes to call it, which is just guys are going to hit the IL for minimum stays, basically to get a breather. It's it's not even that they're not hurt. It's that any any pitcher at any moment, uh, does something hurt on you right now? Yes, is the answer. You know, it's, it's invariably going to be yes. But they've got so many intriguing arms. Um, Clayton Kershaw has been really solid. He's not Pete Kershaw. I didn't think that. Nobody thought that. But I was and and still am. It's only 40 innings, right? This is not, hey, there's nothing wrong with Kershaw. But even in the midst of Kershaw's price falling and him being a scary fantasy guy, I didn't quite understand... I didn't quite understand what the expectations were for those who were terrified of him. Were you really thinking that Kershaw was going to pitch and be like a four-something ERA guy? That's what I didn't get. The muted innings, okay, I get that. But, I mean, that's what we've got in the last three years. And, you know, we're not getting the same ERAs that we've gotten in, in the past three. 169, which is nice for 149 innings. 231 in 175. And then 273 last year for 161. I'm not I'm not projecting Kershaw for a sub three. But I thought, you know, a, a low to mid threes for another 150 to 160 innings is what we were going to get. And we're at 340 right now. It is with a 410 fit. Um, you know, the homers are up a little bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, we're starting to see that with Kershaw that he is a little bit more homer prone, but who isn't, of course. Uh, but, you know, as he slows down and kind of has to focus more on on craft, he's giving up some homers. But he's still not walking, guys. He's still getting a perfectly capable number of strikeouts. He has 36 and his 39 and two-thirds. I rounded it up to 40 earlier. That's like one big strikeout game away from being a strikeout per inning, though. Six, seven, eight, six, four, and five. So the last two outings have been a little strikeout light, but the first four were perfectly fine. He does have a couple two homer games though, um, but he only allowed three runs in both of those, and they were both against San Diego. So I don't know. I, I'm still in on on Kershaw. You know, I would trade for him. I would actually go knocking on the door and say, "Hey, you know, you took Kershaw. You probably had some apprehension. You're trying to sell. I'll buy him. I'm into it." Um, I would, I would be absolutely remiss if I did not talk about the God of the staff, Hyunjin Ryu, what a season he's had, but you know, this is not brand new. Um, he threw a hundred, excuse me, a 197 ERA in 82 and a third last year. It wasn't this electric where he walked just four in, in, uh, in 59 innings with good for a 
14.8 strikeout to walk ratio this year. That's hilarious. 59 strikeouts, four walks for Ryu. That's wild. He's leading baseball in ERA, whip, walk rate, and strikeout to walk rate. And he's tied for the, or he leads the NL in wins with six. So he's been brilliant. Look, you know you're not going to get a ton of innings. If we could squeeze out a buck 50, that'd be great. It would also be a four-year high, or five years if you want to count the fact that he missed all of 2015 and looped that in. He had a buck 52, did Ryu, in 2014, and then 192 all the way back in 2013. You're not going to get innings. The only thing I'm hardened by is the fact that his recent injuries have been lower half and not arm, and that, that that's a slight positive, meaning that you know, you're not waiting for a, a continually bunk elbow to pop, although consistent groin injuries including ripping the the groin off the bone is a pretty gruesome injury he's gonna get he's gonna get his spells on the il but i think he's gonna be great i would buy here as well and i would buy with the expectation that somebody's looking to get out from under this thinking they're gonna sell high you're gonna have to pay something of note for sure but i think you're still gonna get another let's 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 call it another 75 innings of a 320 ERA. That's pretty useful. 75 innings of a 320 ERA. Let's just go look at Steamer real quick. Rest of season. Bear with me on this. Actually, hang on. I wasn't sure if the bat. You know, no, no offense, Steamer. I'm I'm a Derek Cardi guy, and I didn't know we had the bat rest of season here. So I'm gonna go with the bat. Steamer, you're doing good work over here, but I love the bat. 75 innings. Of a 3.20 ERA. Let me see, what's what what's that comparable to? First off, let me see what the bat thinks. Rest of season for my boy. They think 121 innings. So maybe they're just kind of extrapolating where we're at. Now that'd be amazing if you got that kind of volume. 121 innings of a 3.65 is what the bat thinks. Rest of season. I'm saying if you're if you're going for 75 of like a what I say 3.20 ERA, that's essentially. Let me take a drink here. Ooh, that was a substantial drink. I was parched. I don't know if you could tell, but I was parched. Nobody, literally nobody has a 75 inning projection the rest of the way. I don't know why. It's kind of weird, but uh, nobody has that. So the closest I can get, the comparable, the closest comp I could get for that, a 75 innings of a 320 ERA the rest of the way would be like Severino, Luis Severino. The bat has him for 55 innings of a 324. Otherwise, it's like relievers that have 47 innings projected for that kind of ERA. Um, otherwise, you're talking too many innings. Okay, maybe maybe the better comp here, if we want to expand the uh, the um, the projection a little bit on innings and hope that Hyunjin Ryu stays healthy and gets a little bit more uh, of the innings count. One one hundred and fifteen innings for a three twenty seven ERA from James Paxton. Let's bump that down. Let's let's shave off some of that. Let's go ninety five innings, because then you're talking one fifty four total. So that's uh you know you're you're taking you're taking twenty innings off of that. But you're getting James Paxton minus twenty innings. I think people would would want that. Fewer strikeouts too. I don't think that Ryu is going to continue to strike guys out. Um, well, I mean, 
that's the thing. He, he, by the way, Ryu is a great case as to how K9 versus K percentage can be so different, particularly when you're walking so few. Because his 27% strikeout rate is sexy, but it's not the same K, K9. Um, I, be, I bet Paxton has a similar strikeout rate, but the K9 is way higher. Actually, no, Paxton's at 34%. My bad, Pax. You beastin, you beastin. But anyway, um, yeah, twenty-seven percent strikeout rate is fantastic. It, it's it's a strikeout per inning right now for Hyunjin Ryu. And the bottom line is, again, I would try to buy high because I don't think that you're gonna have to pay some stupid price. You're gonna have to pay a substantial bat. But he's good. He's legitimately good. And so what you're the, the biggest risk I think you're taking is like a catastrophic injury, which is the risk you're taking with any pitcher though, any single one. Literally any pitcher that you get, that is the risk that you're taking. So to that end, like I I I can't hold that against Ryu specifically. So I'm interested in buying high on him. Um, let's see. We also have Kenta Maeda, who's been kind of up and down. He's currently on the IL. He's in he's in a Dodgeritis IL stint, though very minimum stay. Should be back, I believe, this weekend even. I'm not even sure if, if anybody's going to get a start in his place because I think that they didn't need a fifth starter, so they were able to finagle it. He's coming off of 12 and a third scoreless. Uh, 12 and two thirds, excuse me. Actually, if you add in the two innings at the end of his outing before that, it's 14 and two thirds scoreless for, uh, for, for Kenta Maeda after being a little bit wobbly. But this is this is the exact case I was talking about earlier where why you look at a game log and you see that uh, six and two thirds. So here's his earned runs. Three, one, five, one, six, zero, four, zero, zero. He's more dominant than not. That's like when he ended April with a 441 ERA and I couldn't have been less concerned about Kenta Maeda. And, and then had a 466 after that six innings, four runs against San Diego. But then he's gone for two scoreless outings after that, and he's down to 351. So that that's what I mean by looking at game log and, and finding something where it's like, if anyone's panicking there, you jump in. And so, yeah, I, I, I really dig my Ada still. I have, again, literally no concerns about anything that he is doing. So that's Kershaw, Maeda. Ryu. Oh, obviously, got to talk about Walker Bueller. He's been a little bit up and down. I'm sure the folks that paid the premium for him, which if you have him, you paid an absolute premium, uh, have had some nerves. Hopefully you haven't done the, let me sit this, this you know, superstar or, or, or star. We'll call him a star. If you paid that price for him and you had expectations of him, you were treating him as a star. Whether he's a fully developed star, that's up for debate. But you were certainly behaving as though Walker Buehler was a star. And he gave up five in two of his first three starts. Hilariously, the good start was at Colorado when he only allowed one in five innings. So, you know, you were toting an eight twenty-five through three starts. Throws uh, six and a third where he allows one unearned run. But then back-to-back sub-six inning starts of three runs. Five and two-thirds, five and a third. So he has a 522 ERA ending the month. And you're like, whoa, geez, this is not what I expected. If there was any room for panic on Bueller, it was the inconsistent strikeout totals. Zero, four, five, eight, one, and six. So those two dud games were really keeping it down. And he was still very close to getting a strikeout per inning. Like he was five away, 24 and 29 and a third. That's like a big 
you know, 12 strikeouts in six innings from being right back on track to a strikeout per inning. Um, and he's he, he's really gotten on track here in May. Three really strong outings, three quality starts because in his last outing at Cincy, he did allow four, but only one was earned. So we're looking at a 20-inning uh, run of four earned runs, 22 strikeouts, one walk. So you got a 180 ERA and a minuscule .85 whip, and nobody's panicking about Bueller anymore. In my latest rankings, where did I have Bueller? Let's see here. I moved him down like a little. Uh, just as some guys kind of kind of passed him. Yeah, I moved him down to 26. It was a five-spot dip. He was still in the must-start, though. That was basically acknowledging that, hey, he's been a little bit inconsistent, uh, particularly, like I said, with the strikeout rate. The swinging strike rate hasn't really been anything to write home about on, on Bueller, and that's what that that's what that downgrade was an acknowledgement of. And he'll go back up. You know, when as they move within tiers, I I can't muster enough to say like, hey, this is a big actionable move. And uh, he does now have four straight outings of double-digit swinging strike rates. 11, 11, 10, 15 for Walker Bueller. So he's back. He's back, baby. And he's been beastly. Um, next up on their team is Rich Hill. He's doing his thing. Listen, if you draft Rich Hill, and you're taking on that hot potato. You know, he's he's 512 years old. And it's you are kind of playing with fire every year that we continue to take him. But he's been too good not to. But what I'm saying is if you draft him, you're committing to just starting him. You, you know, take him out maybe for like Colorado or whatever as you would anybody else that you draft in that range. But for the most part, he's a set it and forget it kind of guy. I think he falls in the usually start. Um, let me look that up to see if I'm lying or not. Did I lie? Nope. He's in the usually start tier. And that's, I mean, that's just where he's going to be because with Rich Hill, you usually have to start him and you're going to take ups and downs. If you don't have the stomach for it, trade him because you're going to miss you try to, again, the only thing I would do, I would be happy to take him out at Colorado. That's fine. Anything else, though, to try to, oh, let me not get him here against this, you know, Atlanta's coming and they're pretty good or Philly. Nope. When Rich Hill's on, the opponent does not matter. In fact, he can even do well in Coors. I'm just saying if if you want to go that route, I understand it at least because it's it's Coors Field. But anything else, you have to commit to to starting him. Uh, otherwise, don't have him on your team. So the Dodgers are awesome. Uh, I didn't mention Ross Stripling. I am very sad that that he's found his way on the outside looking in. Uh, I think he might have caught a start for... No, like I said, I don't even think he gets a start with Maeda out. Because I, I think they planned it to where they don't even need need one. Let me see here. Yeah, I, I, don't, think, I don't think they're going to need him for anything. I want to know why the hell he went 11 days without pitching, though. That was kind of annoying. Um, I mean, I do still have him in a couple deep leagues where he's just he's a talent worth hanging on to. That's the thing. Like, it's hard to just cut Ross Stripling despite the fact that he has a a kind of buried relief role. And I thought maybe, you know, with the situation going on with Julio Rios and, and the domestic violence, 
and, and I think he's actually slated to return today from the uh, from the restricted list, and they got to get all that sorted out. Um, but I, I kind of thought, okay, well maybe Stripling can emerge into a more important relief role. The thing of it is, as a starter, he threw 34 innings of a 2.65 ERA and a 109 a 1.09 WHIP. Like he was good, and he didn't really do anything to get eliminated from from starting, except that they just value the guys around him more. It's just an embarrassment of riches over there. But it pisses me off because I love Ross Stripling, and I was really touting him this year, and I, I really like him. And the thing of it is, it's a long play, though. Because I've every every single guy I've talked about so far either carries injury concern or has had a major... In, well, okay, backpedal. I said it earlier. I'll, I'll repeat it probably 50 more times while I do these. Every pitcher has major injury risk. They're pitching. Like, that's just how it goes but specifically with the Dodgers we know that their guys have had some injury concerns or or, or some injury profiles that are a little bit rough and we also know that they're going to give guys breaks whether they're super hurt or not we just talked about the Maeda one now they happen to plan his to where they didn't really need a start but we'll see you know how everyone else stays healthy I mentioned that Rich Hill is 512 years old so if you can afford to, particularly, I know it's going to be more difficult in your 12s and, of course, your 10s. In 10, I understand if you don't keep Ross Stripling. But in your 12s, I think you can still finagle a way to keep him on the roster somewhere and just take those relief innings that you're getting. Hopefully, they start to give him more relief innings. I really would like to see that to make it worth at least keeping him around, though that has been difficult. Um, at the very least, if you have to cut Ross Stripling, keep him on your watch list because the second there's a key substantial injury for somebody he could be right back in that rotation ready to take off and be a be a premier asset and you know i did just mention it mention him in passing but the same kind of goes for julio urias and you know we need to wait for some more details to come out on on the domestic violence incident but the 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 report is that he pushed a woman in a in a mall uh parking garage over over a dispute which is obviously a garbage thing to do I, I don't know how to properly talk about these things when we're relating it to like fantasy baseball, right? Because at the end of the day, who the hell cares about fantasy baseball when someone's when someone's roughing up a woman, right? Fuck that guy. Um, and so, you know, but at the same time, the, the team's going to use him and, and bring him back. He kind of factors into it. So it's like, I don't want to be insensitive to the situation, but I also acknowledge that like, well, I can't pretend that he's not playing either. So... He's a talented arm. If this if this goes forward and and he is he is fully uh, guilty of what he's charged with, and I, I I believe that there's been speculation that a video will come out because of it it happening in public. It was a domestic battery incident, like I said, in a uh, in a what's it in in a in a parking lot. Um, Passens, Jeff Passon says officials at a L.A. shopping mall declined to give the video to MLB. Hmm. That's interesting. But, uh, you know, it'll be sorted out by the police and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. I, I, I will acknowledge that you have to be aware of, of, uh, of Julio Urias as, as a pitcher in fantasy. I mean, you, you just do. And he does have talent. Um, but again, if he's beating on women, fuck that guy. All right, moving on to Miami here. 
this will be another time saver because there's not that much to, to talk about. Uh, there are a few guys, though. It's more than just Caleb Smith. It's not Caleb Smith and, and Bounce because, um, you know, there's a couple guys doing some things under the hood that you want to keep an eye on and maybe, you know, at least stash them or watch list them. But let's talk about Smith for a bit. First off, he has been discussed on recent pods, so I would direct you to his player profile page, and those pods should show up. Let me Actually, let me, let me fact check myself on that. Well, if anyone if anyone writes, wait, no, wait, whoa, 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 pardon me, I am confused here as to why he doesn't show up on the um, the one with uh, oh, I know exactly why his stuff doesn't tag because there's two minor league Caleb Smiths that sucks. Alex Fast and I talked about him. So for those that don't know, Alex Fast of Pitcher List was very big on Caleb Smith this year. This was one of his guys like, hey, you know, he showed us some things last year. I'm sticking with him. Jump in. Get you some get you some Caleb Smith. And so that's been kind of like his guy this year. Um, and so we did talk about him. And you know what? Yep. You click on his name in the podcast post and it goes to the three guys. So I'm going to manually add this. So that way, when you guys go to his profile page, anytime after tonight, tonight meaning the night of May 21st. So starting on May 22nd on, I believe that's when those things update, uh, the player profile pages update. You should then be able to see it on Caleb Smith's profile page. But we have talked about him recently uh, in other pods too, and I, I might have to go back and find those as well. But at any rate, he's been fantastic. Uh, unquestionably having a massive breakout. It's been really fun to watch. 17% swinging strike rate, similar to what I mentioned with Griffin Canning, except double the innings. So he has a 35% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate, which which I really like. That's a nice improvement over last year. It's still like an average rate. You know, it's not an insane, you know, walk rate where he's limiting walks to such a crazy degree, but it's an improvement paired with, with a major hit suppression improvement, and all of a sudden Caleb Smith has just been incredible. His changeup has really taken the next step uh, to go with his slider, so he's got this slider changeup combo that's really allowing him to limit how often he uses the fastball, and it's making the fastball play up. So he has three offerings that are really working for the left-hander. I know Justin's big concern was his home run rate, and it is still at 1.1. Of course, as we say, with guys like this, if, if you're going to allow home runs, if nobody's on base, we don't care as much. It, it, it is something to be mindful of, particularly if he goes to a difficult home run environment. Uh, but he allowed one in Wrigley, and I believe the wind was blowing out. Uh, he had 11 strikeouts and just two earned runs in six and two-thirds. He went to Philly and only allowed one, struck out eight. Um, he did allow two in Atlanta, but it was only for three runs. He still struck out seven. And so you love him at home, and you like him in most road starts. I mean, he's an absolute must-start, of course, Caleb Smith is, and he's continued to ascend up my pitcher rankings. He's been awesome. And, you know, you just let this ride out. I am really interested to see if they try to deal him. He's 27 years old. He's not going to be part of their next big, you know, next good team, I wouldn't think. At the same time, they have him through 2024. He's cheap as can be, and you know, teams can have quicker turnarounds than than you would put on paper. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh wow, they're better than we thought. And so, you know, if you got him at age 
29 in, in, in 2021 and, and, and some things really start to come together, I could see here's the bottom line. They're, they're not going to trade him this year in season. I, I don't see that. They might consider doing it in the offseason, though. If he completes this breakout year and Caleb Smith ends up with a sub-3 ERA for 180-plus innings, they should consider trading him. They've traded everybody else good, so you might as well see if you can actually get something good when you trade a quality player. And then they, they're one of the few teams, by the way, that's only started five guys. Um, you know, we'll see how long that lasts. It's very difficult to do in a full season, particularly in this day and age, but they have just started their main five, which is Caleb Smith, Pablo Lopez, Jose Reña, Trevor Richards, and Sandy Alcantara. Um, and three of those guys, you know, have solid like mid fours ERAs, but the whips are all terrible in all three of those guys. And that's, uh, Alcantara, Richards, and Urena. But then Pablo Lopez is actually probably the second best of the bunch, despite having the second highest ERA, or the, the, excuse me, the highest ERA by far at 506, but the second best fit because his skills are really encouraging here. He's, he's delivering a 353 fit because he has some good swing and miss and he doesn't walk guys. So Pablo Lopez is the guy that you want out of here um, if you don't have Caleb Smith because you're not getting Caleb Smith anymore off the waiver wire, which you... I mean, he was probably a waiver pickup in a lot of leagues this year, unless you listened to Alex Fast. Uh, Pablo Lopez isn't isn't on a lot of waiver wires anymore, I think, because, you know, FIP is not a foreign concept to a lot of fantasy players. Neither is having, you know, 49 strikeouts and 48 innings. That stands out to everybody these days. And when you look at it, a 10 earned run outing, at the Mets is doing the bulk of the damage. That accounts for 37 of Pablo Lopez's earned runs this year. If you lop that start off, just to kind of get an idea of everything else that's going on, he has a 340 ERA, which is right in line with that FIP. So, you know, it counts, and you 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 started him at the Mets, so you took that beating on the chin, but he bounced back with seven one-hit innings against them. And uh, seven one-hit shutout innings, I should say, with seven strikeouts. It was an eight-run first inning. Uh, everything that could go wrong went wrong for Pablo Lopez. But he'll be working that ER, that that uh, that start off for a while. But I tell you what, he'll be in the fours in no time. And if he keeps pitching like he has been around that start, he had six scoreless against Atlanta before that outing. And then, like I said, the seven scoreless against the Mets after they clobbered him. If he keeps pitching really well like that, all of a sudden he'll be in the low fours before you know it. Maybe as early as like early June. So uh, he's definitely the second best. You really like what he's able to do. With Alcantara, Richards, and Urania. Alcantara, I know he had a big outing against the Mets recently. <laughs> We're almost at the point where like we don't even give much credence to starts against the Mets. We're like, well, yeah, but it was against the Mets. So, you know, how much does it really matter? Uh, by the way, I'm halfway done here and it's been an hour. So your boy needs to pick up the pace. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, but Sandy Alcantara, let me look at his game log here. He had the uh, the shutout against the, the Mets. And he faced them twice in a row similar to what Pablo Lopez did, and I've talked about this uh, on the pod recently, where having back-to-back starts against the same team, the first one is not indicative of anything about how the second one will go. They're completely independent. Beyond the box score, uh, did a study on this a couple years back. 
and it doesn't matter. So don't try to take anything from the first one. And be like, well, I can't start him here. If you like the talent, you trust the guy, just start him, um, no matter how the first one goes. And so he had five and two-thirds, gave up four runs at New York, but then the shutout, two-hit shutout with eight strikeouts in Miami. He's really been uh, more of a home road guy. It's not that he's never struggled at home. He does have a couple bad outings. Actually, hang on. I want to look at his. I was kind of eyeballing it. And I'm looking now, and yes, he is better at home with a 405 ERA versus a 458 on the road, but that's a lot closer than I expected. The skills are a lot better at home, though, too. So I think right now you're kind of going home only on Sandy Alcantara unless a a good road start really pops up. Um, He has at Washington this weekend. They're better than you. They're better start than you would think for a mediocre starter because. They kind of suck. Sorry. Sorry, Nats fans. Just being real. Against righties, they are 23rd in WRC plus with a 25%, with an 82. Sorry. They're 23rd in WRC plus at 82, and they have a 25% strikeout rate, which is seventh highest. So, like, that's, that's that's a coin flip start there for Alcantara. But then next week, he gets a home against San Francisco, which is an auto an auto start and a total gem. So maybe scoop him now if he's available in your league. I'm sure he was picked up a bunch after the uh, after the the shutout though. So we'll see how available Alcantara is, and then you kind of go from there. He's probably still available in some leagues. People understand that the Mets, you know, are garbage, and so they're probably not uh, freaking out too much about the shutout. Pick him up for this weekend. Even if you reserve him, get that start at home against San Francisco next weekend for Sandy Alcantara. Trevor Richards came in with some hype because of his of his uh, devastating changeup. He still has a 13% swinging strike rate, which is nice, and allowing him to get 44 strikeouts in his 48 and two-thirds innings of work. But the whip is through the roof. Uh, walks have been a really big problem this year, and they were pretty high last year re- you know, relative to the strikeout rate. He had like a 12%, uh, excuse me, a 10% rate last year. It's up to 12 this year. And I just don't know that he has enough margin for error to keep that high of a walk rate, particularly with the strikeout rate coming down from 24 to 21% this year for Trevor Richards. And his home run rate has gone sky high. And the 14% homer to fly ball rate is high, but not egregiously so where you're like, well, that, that has to have some regression coming. So I do worry about him. Trevor Richards for me is definitely a home only guy right now until I see something where the walks come together or the walks come down or the home runs get in check. I cannot start him anywhere, but home starts and, uh, and see what happens with that home run rate. 401 ERA at home, 540 on the road. He's got, uh, at Detroit see, and, and right off the bat. Now that's is a road start where I might still consider him despite what I just said, because Detroit is so crummy. That's that's a coin flip. That's that's really got to be situation dependent. I, I I would lean no unless you're in a dire situation and you're really just trying to spike some potential gems. Let me see what the Tigers' stats are. They are third in strikeout rate against right-handers at 26%, and they are 29th in WRC+. plus. Okay, I'm leaning more of a yes for Trevor Richards here. Um He's got to find a way to succeed. First off, that's a pretty spacious ballpark too. So they should be he should be able to keep the ball in the yard in Detroit. So I'm going to go yes on that. Then he's also part of that San Francisco uh, series next week. And then next Sunday, 
He gets at San Diego. So it's a two-start the week after this one. So he goes at Detroit, home to San Fran, at San Diego. At, you know, San Diego is not easy. They, and they can they can hit bombs. Renfro, Franmil, uh, Machado. You know, they can go yard. But they are only 24th in WRC plus against righties. And they actually have the second or the highest, uh, the highest strikeout rate in the league against uh, right-handers. By the way, the Tigers are technically second for Richards' standpoint because the Marlins are second and he can't face his own team. So I think Trevor Richards is somebody you want to get now before Wednesday's start. And you might be able to to coax three solid starts out of him here and, and, and really get something worthwhile and then kind of assess him after this trio of starts and see where he's at. So I think he's a pickup in a lot of formats here, Trevor Richards, and hopefully he can get right, really cut into that ERA and whip, and ideally the home run rate, and really set himself up um, and go off for, for a little bit here. So that's Trevor Richards. Next up is Jose Reña. Um He's so bland, man. He just doesn't get. You know these these other guys all have a little bit of intrigue because they they miss some bats. Uh, and they do some good things. I hope Jose Arena doesn't throw a ball at me for saying this, but he's just, dude, 15% strikeout rate. Ugh. I mean, you can get some decent starts out of him at home against crummy teams. He's got a 444 ERA. He had a 398 last year. He's definitely one of those guys who underperforms his his raw stuff because he, he throws 96, but it's straight. And uh, you know he can whip, he can rip off some good sliders, but for the most part they're kind of blah. And so you're like, damn, he's got arm talent, but he doesn't make a lot of it. And so, nah, he's not even a home road guy right now. He's a 508 at home and a 332 on the road. But that doesn't mean I would trust him on the road for for Jose Urania. That uh, Washington series I mentioned is actually a wraparound. So Urania gets the the Monday start at Washington after starting at Detroit on Wednesday. So he goes at Detroit, at Washington, at San Diego. I mean, if you were going to believe the home road splits, which, again, I don't think you should. The home skills are still better. And he only has three road starts. That's why he's able to to have the good ERA for Jose Urena. Oh, God, I don't know. He pitched well in Tampa Bay recently. He has a great outing in Philly it is weird that he does have three gems on the road and then one dud. Wait, why does it say when I looked at his home road splits, it said three home start or three road starts. Yeah. They're not even including this is four. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. I was looking at his home starts and calling them road starts. I am a total doof. Now I didn't lie. I said he had a good start at Philly, but I was looking at the home one. He does have a good start at Philly. Seven innings, two runs for Jose Arena. Crummy start at Cincy and survival start. You know, pretty good. Seven innings, two runs, only one of them earned, but only three strikeouts against three walks at the Whites, uh, at the Cubbies. Excuse me. I don't know, man. It's dangerous. But these, I just told you how crummy Detroit, Washington, and San Diego are against right-handers. He might even be able to coax more than his 15% strikeout rate though I doubt it. If you're desperate for pitching, you could maybe do this in a 12-teamer. 10-teamers, I think you're still passing. But it is three decent setups here for, for Urania. 
I don't know. Your situation really has to has to decide this one here. I, I can't give you the answer key on that one. All right, let's move on to the Twins here and um, talk about what they've got going. They've been one of the big revelations this season. They're 31 and 16. They're just a uh, half game behind the, the Astros for the best record in the American League. They've been awesome. Their offense, we all know about how their offense has been. They've been tearing the cover off the ball. Everyone in their lineup besides Marlon Gonzalez, every one of their starters has a positive uh, WRC output. And even he, Marwin Gonzalez, has been getting on track of late. He was putrid to start the season. Like, holy cow, why is he in the majors kind of stuff? And you wondered, well, okay, if they're going to keep starting him, then obviously they're, they're believing that he can get out of this. Coming into May, 161, 244, 256 slash line. In May, he's at 355, 429, 500. So he's gotten on track. But anyway, so their offense has been clicking on all cylinders. They're pitching has been key too. You don't get this record on offense alone. So their their pitching's been doing really well with three really strong starters at the front. We know about Barrios. I'm not really going to go too in depth on him. You know, he's doing his thing. Um he's still solid, kind of that mid-tier or, or I mean second tier guy, that that fantasy ace. Like if he leads your rotation in fantasy, you're fine with it, but not quite a true ace yet and hasn't really shown that he's going to take that next step. But, you know, a repeat of last year is fine. I mean, he'd be repeating 17. Like, he, he'd, he's had the same year the last two years. If he does it again, it's like, okay, I mean, he's 25. If he puts up another good year where he gets about a strikeout per inning with about a, you know, a upper threes ERA, a good whip for, and if he adds innings this time, like he goes from 146 to 192, maybe this year he can do like 205 or something. That trajectory would be fine for the Twins. If he takes a step, of course, that'd be great. Now, he is walking a lot fewer. Uh, in fact, he's cut it in half from 8 to 4%. And it, ha- it hasn't paid a lot of dividends yet, though. And for Jose Barrios, he's still, he still is, is capable of that implosion start that just comes out of nowhere. Now, again, I'll repeat it for the billionth time. Everyone has a bad start here and there, right? We know that. So I'm not saying that you have to be perfect, but his seem to be so weird and have no rhyme or reason. And they can be really bad. 12 hits against LA against the angels in five and two thirds with five runs, like, and then follows it up with four runs and four and two thirds against Seattle. Like what? I don't know. And eight hits in that. So 20 hits in your last 10 and a third. I don't understand that. That's so weird. And, and last year, he had these ebbs and flows where he'd be bad for three starts, great for five, bad for two, great for six. And so the bottom line was great, but head-to-head, it was probably maddening to have Jose Barrios. But he's a set it and forget. He's a must-start. There's not really anything to be done. It can just be a little bit frustrating at times. The guys I want to key in on, really, of course, are going to be uh, Jake Odorizzi and Martin Perez. They've been fantastic for the uh, for the Twins this year. Let's start with Odorizzi. He's been a guy... That the last thing I would have expected, if you told me that home runs are going to go the hell off this year and just be devastating and just, they're going to be crazy. Watch out for the home runs this year. Odorizzi might have been off my board because I, I I have liked him in the past with Tampa Bay 
and and hoped that he could kind of put some things together. This is not my way of saying I knew he was going to be good this year. In fact, I'm about to say the direct opposite. If you'd only told me that home runs were going to explode in 17, I'd have said, okay, well, the one guy I know I don't want is Jake Odorizzi because he gives up way too many home runs. And instead, he's cut his rate from 1.1 to 0.7 because baseball. I don't know. Like, good on him, by the way. But it is wild. He's a fly ball pitcher. He has cut his home run to fly ball down to 6%. Nothing has really changed to go with that. The infield fly rate is is still strong. That helps curb some of that fly ball rate. But the fly ball, fly ball rate's actually gone up to a career high 50%. And the infield fly ball rate's actually gone down a tick from 13 to 12. So he's really kind of living on the edge of this homer to fly ball rate is Jake Odorizzi. So that's a little bit alarming. Now, one of the things that that Colette, Jason Collette's keyed in on for Odorizzi is something that that is one of Jason's favorite things to study is third time through, and making sure that that you know identifying the guys who really shouldn't be pitching the third time through like at all, and then hoping that the teams that have that player follow that script, and then rostering those guys for a profit. Because you can definitely do that with someone like Odorizzi because he's been a nightmare the third time through throughout uh, the last couple of years. That's really been what's pushed him down into mediocrity. And nine homers third time through in 17, 12 last year. How many homers did he give up all of last year? Let me see. Jake Odorizzi allowed 20 total home runs last year. 12 were the third time through. Do not let this guy go a third time through. Now, he's only allowed two in his 42 plate appearances. He does have a 783 OPS the third time through, which is passable. Rocco Baldelli has really been, you know, keeping him tight on that third time through situation for Jake Odorizzi. And it has undoubtedly played a role in helping him break out here. And I think that that is why I wouldn't just go off the homer to fly ball rate and say this is completely unsustainable. He's going to start to allow a million home runs. Now, will it go up from 6%? Yeah, I think you should bump it up a little bit, but we're also not expecting uh, him to maintain a 283 ERA. So if he bumps his ERA up to, say, 350 the rest of the way, that would still be amazing for Jake Odorizzi. Here's his OPS times through. First time, 482. Second time, 497. Third time, 783. Boot, dude, you're you're five and dive. You, you know, maybe stretch it to six. But you do not need to be seeing this the third time through. You're a beast when you're just going two times through the lineup. That's who you are. That's okay. Unless you develop something that, that can instill confidence in, in Rocco Baldelli to let you go the third time through. I hope you're keenly aware of the fact that you do not need to be in that game once uh, once the leadoff hitter comes up for the third time in a game. So, you know, the innings count are going to be tamped down because of this factor with Jake Odorizzi, but I'll take somebody who throws five uh, regularly and, and, you know, stretches into six, maybe even seven every once in a while if he's really dealing, uh, but but does so with great ratios and good and a good strikeout total, 52 and 53 innings. So I like what Odorizzi's doing, and it's really about keeping him from that third time through. And so, Rocco Baldelli, I know you're smart enough to keep doing that. 
Martin Perez got some preseason hype by developing a cutter and amping his velocity. It was one of those standout stories where it's like, hmm, we know who Martin Perez has been and, you know, who he'll probably be. Let's not go crazy. But this is definitely some intrigue here. Former prospect, prospect, excuse me, of major pedigree develops some real improvements here by not only adding a pitch, but again, also amping the velocity substantially. Like those are two legitimate factors that, that mattered. So I actually put him in my top 100. I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give some love to this. I drafted him in the main event even. Okay, let's go. Well, then they didn't start Martin Perez. They put him in the bullpen. Probably didn't need a fifth starter. He goes three multi-inning relief outings. 7.56 ERA. 20 base runners in eight and a third. 12 strikeouts, cool. But the rest of it was terrible. So what did I do? Did I stash him? Did I just hang on? No, of course I cut him. He was like my 25th round pick or something. You're supposed to churn the bottom end of your roster. And then he joins the rotation. <laughs> 201 ERA and 44 and two-thirds for Martin Perez. Listen, I know we all got stories about that. I'll quit my belly aching, but holy hell. 201 ERA, 105 whip, 41 strikeouts and 44 and two-thirds for Martin Perez. He's been a beast. And yeah, the schedule is lined up nicely with two starts against Baltimore, two against Toronto, one against Detroit, his most recent at, at Seattle, who's really come down. Now, he did throw eight shutout against Houston, though, too. And the velocity's held, career high, 95 miles per hour from the left side. He's only throwing his fastball 42% of the time because that cutter has been a weapon. Um, there's a lot of believability to what Martin Perez is doing here. I really like this. And obviously he's scooped up everywhere now. I think you just kind of ride this out because I don't think it's a real sell high in that who's really going to give you anything. Who's, who's really buying on Martin Perez. That's going to give you something that's better than what this potentially is. Now the projections of course are going to go so much off off of what he's done in the past that they're not going to be all that favorable. They all have uh, mid fours ERAs with one four something whips. In fact, they're all pretty tight. 441, 444, 442 for zips, uh, for steamer, depth charts, and zips respectively. The bat though has a 399. So I wonder if he's factoring, if Derek has been able to factor in some more of, of what this year shows and say, hey, I think he can beat his his career marks a little bit. He'll still be a little bit conservative. 399, 134 isn't exactly, you know, must start territory. But if that's where the projection is, then we're not too far from something that, that really plays in all formats. So Martin Perez is a firm hold for me and definitely somebody that I'd be excited if I had him on my team because I, I, yeah, I think you might've found some gold here at the end of the, uh, at the end of the draft. So uh, that's going to, well, hang on. I'll, I'll say a few things about Minnesota, the rest of the guys. So, sorry, Kyle Gibson, but Michael Pinata, no, dude. Just no. Just no, never, stop, don't even talk to me. Kyle Gibson, uh, you know, I know the whole meme is that, that I hate him or whatever. And, you know, always let's keep it respectful that it's sports hate. I do not 
hate Kyle Gibson. Um, I would have no reason to. Actually, I'm looking at this now. I will. I will. Let me let me give some love to to Gibby here. A 402 FIP on this 447 ERA uh, has a little intrigue because it's a 24% strikeout rate, 6% walk rate. Those are career best rates. There's some under the hood stuff here that says, hmm, maybe he should be better right now. Let me let me look under the hood further. Let's go game log in it on uh, Kyle. Maybe if he really kind of got away from the landscaping business a little bit and passed that off to his brother and said, listen, you take care of that. I'll be there in the off season, but but you're going to have to handle it in season. Maybe there could be some goodness here. 736 ERA in his first three starts. Really didn't show anything of intrigue. Was walking too many guys. Struck out 12 in the uh, about 15 innings of work here. I'm just kind of eyeballing it. And then his last six starts, though, 328 ERA, 39 strikeouts against five walks in 35 and two-thirds for Gibson. That's nice. Now that's two at two Baltimore, one Toronto. You know, three three easy starts there. But then at New York, he did allow five, but only two of them were earned. Um, the Angels and at Seattle, those are two, you know, pretty easy. Especially like I said, Seattle's really come back to the pack. So even if they're bottom line, um, actually L.A. is tough. I didn't realize that. I kind of I kind of shaded them. I said that that was an easy. They're second in WRC plus against righties. So the fact that Gibson threw, you know, a passable five and two thirds, three runs, you know, he's an out away from a quality start. That that's fine. That's surviving against them. So that's kind of interesting. But he's been pretty good. Now he has the the bulk of that good work there is getting lucky against New York to only have three uh two earned runs. And then the three gems against Baltimore, Baltimore, and Toronto. So I'm not running out to get Kyle Gibson, but the 12% swinging strike rate and, and, and the quality strikeout and walk rate, I'll give it a little love. And I will also say I don't think a 21% homer to fly ball rate is going to continue. However, he's a career 14%. So it's not going to get that much better if he continues as he has over his career to bring down the 1.4 homer per nine. So I give Gibson a little shred of love here, but this is not something that is blossoming into something great here. I have him in the DSS, the deep spot start um, division here, tier at, at, at 96. He might move up a little bit because of some attrition and because 91 was where the, uh, the SSS tier ended, the shallow spot start. Gibson might poke his way into that. He might. Let's see what he's got coming up on the docket. He's got the White Sox at home this weekend. That's that's good. You want that. Then a trip to Tampa Bay next uh, the Friday after that. Then that's going to be tough. That's a good test right there because they're good. The White Sox, okay, you know, that's, that's get back on track after the two meh starts. But then what can he do against Tampa Bay? If he can hold them, all right, I'll give it a little bit more love. In fact... That'll be on, um, let's see here, next Friday is, this Friday is the 24th. Yeah, that'll be the 31st of May. That'll be right around the time that I'm start. you know, I'm really getting the next rankings ready. If he does well there, I'll give him a little love. I'll hat tip him a little bit here. But uh, until I see that, right now I'm thinking Kyle Gibson beats up on trash and still pretty mediocre against anything with a pulse. 
By the way, I did not go in proper alphabetical order here. It should have been Milwaukee. I just assumed and I was like, oh, from Miami, we go to Minnesota. I was like, hello, whoops, forgot Milwaukee. My bad. So we're bouncing back to that. Let's see where we're at here. We're at an hour and a half and I still have four teams. I am an idiot. I'm sorry. Hope you guys are enjoying this. I know a lot of you do say, hey, I like I like the super long podcasts. They definitely work. I appreciate that, but I was trying to be a little bit uh, a little bit more time conscious here. So if I speed up a little bit on, on a few of these, you know, Milwaukee's a good one to do that. Let's see, we have Milwaukee, Mets, Yankees, and Oakland left. Milwaukee and Oakland should save us some time. So all right, so Milwaukee here. It's not good. It's not it's not it's not very good. Now I thought that they could uh, see an improved rotation this year. Now, part of that uh, it has yet to come to fruition because Jimmy Nelson's not yet back, and I do love Jimmy Nelson. I feel like he can be an asset for them, but I thought, you know, Brandon Woodruff, first off, let me back it up real quick. They went for, they went for it in terms of giving the, the young talent a shot. They opened the season with Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff, and Corbin Burns in the rotation. When it looked like maybe one of them would get a rotation spot, they gave it to all three of them. And it completely blew up in their face. Burns was horrific. Peralta was bad. Woodruff started off a little wobbly. Like his starts were fine. Like I don't think he had I don't think he has any of like the total blow-ups. Uh, his worst one is five runs in five and two thirds against the Dodgers. You know, that's the Dodgers. He actually gave up all four uh, four of those five runs in the first two innings, and then was really sharp for the final four. Uh, well, final three plus, I should say. But the other guys, I mean, they were just they were the other two were bad. Now I hope this doesn't dissuade other teams from from going this route and giving it a sh- giving it a shot when you have intriguing young arms like this, you know, it, it, it happens, right? And maybe if they just wrote it out with Burns and Peralta, they'd have kind of figured it out. Actually, I, I don't know, man. Burns was so bad. You had you had to take him out. Home, absolute home run machine. I mean, kind of same with Peralta, too. And I know Peralta's back uh, in the rotation now, I believe. But I don't know how much longer that's going to last. At any rate, uh, yeah, so they tried it. It failed. And now they're back to kind of... Uh, you know, the, the veteran-laden rotation of, of Woodruff, Gio Gonzalez, Zach Davies, Yuli Shasin, and then Nelson on his way back and, and temporarily or um, tentatively penciled in to be back next week um, if, if all continues to go well in his rehabs. In fact, his best uh, he delivered his best minor league rehab start to date on Friday, which would have been the 18th? 17th. So then one, two, three, four, five. He might start tomorrow, depending on off days. So he'll start, Jimmy Nelson will start tomorrow or Thursday. And then let's say it's tomorrow, then it'll be one, two, three, four, five. That would set him up for Monday. So if he comes back, if he has a good rehab this week, uh, Jimmy Nelson, he'll be slated to come back like Monday or Tuesday of next week. So we'll see how that goes. But anyway, talked about Woodruff. He's really found his footing after some wobbliness early on. Now he's actually, since that L.A. start, that Dodgers one I mentioned, he's run off a stretch of five outings 
where he's allowed just five total earned runs in 30 innings with 33 strikeouts. So I, I like seeing this come on. If you remember, I was, a, I was a big Woodruff fan in the Woodruff v. Burns battle. And, uh, you know, once they put in Burns, too, I was like, listen, I'm, I'm here for both. Like, go ahead and get both. But Woodruff was my guy, and he's the one I got shares of. And uh, he, he's, been, he's been doing all right here. I'm, I'm, I'm excited by this. He throws 96. Um, he can miss bats. He has a 12% swinging strike rate. Keeps the ball in the yard. You know, I think there's a lot to like here. I think there's still some skepticism on him from some folks. I know I know Nick Pollock is still a little, a little skeptical, but I like a guy who wins with a fastball too, especially a big blazer like uh, like Woodruff's. I think he can maintain something in the realm of, of what he's done so far, which is a 351 ERA and 122 whip with a, with a boatload of strikeouts. I think something like that the remainder of the year, you know, give or take, is is what we can get out of Brandon Woodruff. The the projections all have him for a low fours ranging from 402 to 409. That plays too, to be honest. Um, and if that's kind of the, the lower end, I, I I can get behind that. You know, what work from there and, and hope that he kind of stays hot or or has a couple other hot streaks during the year and all of a sudden you're you're staying in the mid threes here. So that's Brandon Woodruff. Zach Davies has been insane and it's so hard to believe because <laughs> he's just like such a soft tosser 17% strikeout rate 8% walk rate right in line with his career numbers uh 8% swinging strike like he doesn't miss a ton of bats he doesn't have like a gaudy ground ball rate it's like a poor man's um Kyle Hendricks is 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 the best you know shorthand comp I can kind of give for what Zach Davies is able to do. Um, and, you know, the fact that his changeup is his best pitch also helps that that comparison. I think I think Hendricks throws like two changeups. And uh, we are seeing we are seeing the like biggest changeup usage of Davies' career at 28%. In fact, he's really fastball changeup. The the curve and cutter are just kind of show me pitches right now. At four percent each, like that's just not not much. So it's really fastball changeup. It's working. Now, what kind of confidence do I have in it to roster in a fantasy league? Not much. It's really difficult to trust. We'll see how he does at home against Cincy this this Wednesday, and then he has a two start next week. But it's at Minnesota, at Pittsburgh. One bad, one good. I'll tell you what. It only be you know it's only one start so you don't freak out either way over one start but if he showed some things in Minnesota and, and stood tall there let me, let me look at Zach Davies's game log is he doing this against good teams but yeah if he if he really stood up against um, against that ball club that Minnesota ball club that would be pretty intriguing I, I think you could you could give him some love for that let's see here Cincy Cubs Dodgers twice wow. Gave up one run in 12 innings against the Dodgers, facing them back-to-back. I mean, that's really good. Goes to St. Louis, does give up only two, but it was only in four and two-thirds because they ran his pitch count up. Has Colorado at home, decimates them. The Mets, garbage. At the Cubs, at the Phillies. Four runs, only two of them earned in 12 and a third. Okay, he's certainly, this is not a schedule-based performance here for Zach Davies. So maybe he needs more love than I'm giving him. 
I mean, listen, the strikeouts aren't there. Okay, like that's fine. But I think sometimes we go too much on that and pretend like a guy simply cannot be successful without strikeouts. We all understand why we like them, why we favor them. But this notion that like you will die on the mound if you do not strike guys out is 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 kind of silly. And I, I think I think we do it a little bit too much. And um, yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and, and peel back a little bit on on my skepticism of Zach Davies. Of course, I'm not saying 154 ERA, but can he do, can he maintain his FIP the rest of the way? Can he be a 373 one? And the WHIP can be low too because he limits hits pretty well and he doesn't walk guys. Can he be like a 373 120 sort of guy? Sure. That can help your ratios too. And if you've got some big strikeout guys who are ratioly challenged, that is a word, ratioly. It, it, don't look it up. Just trust me. Stop it. Stop Googling it right now. Trust me for once in your stupid life. I would not steer you wrong. Ratioly is a word. So if they are ratioly challenged, um, that, you know, think of it as a pairing with Zach Davies. Big strikeout, racially challenged. It almost sounds like I'm saying racially, which is then really taking this down the wrong alley. So I'm just going to stop with that. But yeah, Zach Davies, I'm kind of on board a bit here. And listen, he's a career 378-129. It's not like he's never been successful. So I'm going to go ahead and quit doubting him. I will say this. If you're going to stick, if you're going to go with Zach Davies, uh, don't be half in and try to time it. Because this is the kind of guy I, ju- I just went through his game log. When he's on, he he's gonna defeat any team. He doesn't just pick on crummy teams or pick on a good good uh, environment. He's just solid when he's on. And so just go with it, put both feet in, and ride it out for as long as you need to Zach Davies. And if it really goes sideways, you can move on. But if he's healthy, he's pretty good. I, I know. I don't believe it either. Or I don't believe I'm saying it either. But. I am, and I'm standing by it, and I'm going to move him up. Let me see where I ranked him. Yeah, I had him 106, and a deep spot start. He's going to go way up. He's going to go into the uh, into this shallow spot start league uh, tier. So he's going to be like 85 or higher. Wild. All right. Uh, Chase Anderson has a 132 ERA as a starter. I'm not sure I really believe, believe that. When your ERA and your whip match unless it's like sub one for both um it's it's hard to believe it in the era i should say because his his whip's 124 this is just as a starter by the way uh his full season he's 266 131 for chase anderson he's okay he's i you know he's someone that you can kind of spot in and out there too um wait he's not even in the rotation right now what am i saying my bad my bad. He's back. Is he back in the bullpen? My bad. Forget Chase Anderson. Ignore what I said. Yeah. Oh yeah. He relieved. Oh no no. He started. He just started a couple days ago. Why is it not showing him on this uh, rotation here? Oh, because they're saying that in a five-game week, Gio Gonzalez is going to get two starts. I don't know if that's true. And so I think that start would go to Chase Anderson. At any rate, he's whatever. I mean, a lot of their guys are whatever. In fact, speaking of Gio Gonzalez. He's pretty whatever too. Now he does have a 169 ERA, which is nice, and a 108 WHIP. We don't believe it, uh, not not to this degree. I've always been a Gio Gonzalez fanboy, so I'm gonna kind of 
I'll, g- I'll give the rosy outlook and I'll say that he could put up last year's FIP as his ERA. That, that's that's the, the rosy outlook I would give him, which is a 416. I would work from that with Gio Gonzalez and, and kind of go from there. I will say, though, there's probably some strikeout upside. He has an 11% swinging strike rate and only an 18% strikeout rate. So there's probably a little bit of upside there. He is only walking 6%, uh, but the first pitch strike rate and zone rates don't back up a walk improvement. And so those are the factors I usually check. Um, when I see somebody really improve their walk rate, I go look at those factors because those those really work well with uh, with walk rates, obviously, right? If you're getting ahead, that's going to help you uh, limit walks. And if you're pitching it in the zone, of course, you're going to limit walks. And so... Um, for his four games, Gio has one, zero, three, and one walk, which is great, but it's suspect. And he's got 80 billion innings, 1835 to be on, to be exact of a 10% walk rate. I would operate with, with something like that more in mind. Uh, but the strikeout rate could go up again, plan for like a low fours. If you, if you're in a league where you can use a low fours with some strikeouts, then you can roster Gio Gonzalez, but otherwise, you know, be careful here. There's a correction coming. It could come in the in the in the form of like, you know, just a bunch of mediocre starts, and he kind of eventually finds his level, or it could come in the form of getting pummeled in one start, setting his ERA back where it belongs, and then he kind of goes from there. You know, it. The idea that he's due for one of those, I, I doesn't work. I know it's been scientifically, you know, that that, that that's not how it works, and yet. We see that so often in baseball where it's like, well, yeah, he was kind of – the luck was going to run out a bit. The 88% left on base rate, the 279 BABIP, the .4 homer per nine, which includes a 6% homer to fly ball rate. So, yeah, Gio Gonzalez, he's fine. He's fine. Um, but let's not let's not freak out over what he's doing. Yuli Chassin. Now, Chassin's a little bit of a disappointment because he put up a couple good seasons in a row here just riding that slider into the ground – uh, some some mid threes, mid to high threes ERA seasons the last two years, with 32 and 35 starts respectively. So big innings guy, with decent ERA, uh, strong WHIP last year, 116. That plays the 127 the year before, pretty meh. But you know, and then even the strikeouts over 150 each of the two years because the volume was so strong innings wise. So you kind of saw him as like, okay, he's a rotation stabilizer that I can draft late. Let me go ahead and, and get Shasin. And he's been anything but. He's been terrible. 465, 131 ERA whip combo. Homers are through the roof. Um, the strikeout rate, which didn't really have any room to give at 20%, is down to 17%. The walk rate, which didn't have any room to give at 9%, is up to 10%, which is, you know, it's a tick. That's not really anything. But uh, the home runs are really the big issue. He's doubled this home run rate from 08 to 161 uh, to point uh, excuse me 1.61 i don't know why i said the third number i never say that on home run rate and for some reason i was like hmm uh let me just say 1.61 here now if you kind of bring that down a little bit if, if you believe like hey he he maybe deserves a little bit of a better homer to fly ball rate than the 14 percent that he has and it'll be closer to his 10 percent that doesn't do much for him though so 
I'm having a hard time finding any real reason here to be that excited about what Yuli Shasin's doing. He's still riding the slider, 50% clip. It's actually still been a, a very positive pitch by pitcher value. It's not the slider's fault. It's that his fastball is so crappy that, okay, I whiffed through your good slider. Good, I'm actually glad I whiffed at it instead of rolling it over for an out because now I'm going to crush the fastball that you're going to throw. You know, it's like, this is bad. It's so bad. I'm just like, I'm a little bit gobsmacked at how terrible this has been. So I, you, you don't need him. You really don't need him at all. Um, move on from anything that, that you may have been keeping uh, Yuli Shasin on and just kind of move on. Uh, let's see. Who else they have here? Gonzalez, Davies, Shasin, Woodruff. Talked about Jimmy Nelson, Kylan, Chase Anderson. Yeah, okay, that's it. Milwaukee, moving on. That was supposed to be a quick one. Damn it. Mets. All right. Challenge accepted. I will make the Mets quick. Jacob DeGrom, struggling a little bit. Not really worried about it. Nothing you can do that's actionable anyway. Same with Thor. Um, yeah, I could deep dive in. First off, we did a deep dive on Thor a while ago on the fireside. So if you really want that, go take a listen to that on on Thor and what's going on with him. Um, wait, did did that not tag either? Oh my goodness. I swear he was mentioned in a fireside. Hmm, my podcasts are not getting tagged in the player pages here, and that's a little bit frustrating. At any rate, um, again, there's just nothing actionable that you can really do with Thor and DeGrom. And honestly, Wheeler is not at the same level as them, but I would say the same kind of thing. Like, I don't really know what you're, you know, you're not going to cut Wheeler in any league. That's for damn sure. I know he got walloped by Washington. That's very frustrating on the heels of two double-digit strikeout outings and three out of four, by the way. He'd been on a huge run, so his season's been weird. Washington has kicked the shit out of Zach Wheeler, and outside of that, he has a 293 ERA. So here, let me see what, what Washington's done against him. All told in three starts, Washington has put up a 977 ERA on him. 17... Uh, earned runs in 15 and two-thirds innings with 15 strikeouts for Zach Wheeler in three starts against Washington. And then the rest of the league has put up a 290, he's put up a 293 ERA with 49 strikeouts and 40 innings. There's nothing to be done. I'm sorry. Like you're riding it out with Zach Wheeler. I'm sorry he has a 485 ERA and I super hyped him. I'm sure you're like, oh, freaking Spore said he was supposed to be good this year. Why do I listen to that idiot? And you know what? That's a fair question to ask, but you did listen to this idiot, and so you have to stick with it. And Zach Wheeler's still going to be in the must-start tier. And I know one of you is going to be like, well, why are you putting him in the must-start tier when his ERA is 485? Actually, it'll probably be lower by that by that time. I mean, I sure hope it is um, if he continues to you know, perform well against the rest of the league. And Oh, son of a bitch. He has Washington t- today. Not again. How many times are you going to face this team? Unbelievable. Wow, this is that's weird scheduling that twice this year. His first two starts and then what will be his two most recent starts after tonight for Wheeler were Washington and Washington. Like that's you know, we talked about how that lines up. 
and you know the first one doesn't impact the second one. It's just weird that he has two bouts like that. Uh, you know, in division, it's not that weird, but it's weird that it's happened so quickly. So uh, hopefully he can survive this one. But after that, you know, you're not taking Wheeler out of your rotation. I'm sorry. He gets Detroit this weekend. And then even a, a, a two-step, or no, excuse me, it won't be a two, this week was a two-step, Washington, then Detroit. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, you're, 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 you better have started him. You're crazy if you didn't. Even with the numbers against Washington, I'm still starting him. And then he goes to Arizona next week. Set it and forget it. I'm sorry. You have to right now. We'll, we'll reassess if he starts to struggle against the rest of the league. But right now, there's something that Washington's got on him, and that's that's all we got. I, I don't have a better explanation, and I'm sorry. Um, so that's DeGrom, Thor, Wheeler, Mats, Steven Mats. You maddening SOB. You matsening. Nope, that doesn't work. Sorry. Um, I'm glad I didn't start him at Miami. I, you know, it was speculated that he would come back against Miami this weekend. And uh, I was like, it's probably going to be a lower inning start. Not because I thought he wouldn't do well, I thought they'd actually kind of keep his countdown to like 70 pitches. He ended up going 81. It was three and two thirds. It was pretty met. Two runs, six strikeouts, seven base runners. Ugh, it was a wasted start against Miami, of course, uh, because usually, you know, he should be killing that team. The bottom line though is outside of injury, which is always prevalent with Mats, since getting pummeled uh, at Philly, when things went really sideways there, Six runs, eight runs, six of them earned, and didn't get a single out. Since then, he has a 322 ERA and 22 and a third. I wouldn't say he's like full on set it and forget it with Steven Matz, but in a league where you have him, I have a really hard time uh, sitting him. You know, not bringing him back uh, on a on a potential injury return when we don't know that he's going to start for sure. Okay, I understand that. That's why I did it. But now that he's back, you know, started him against Washington this week, and then he goes to L.A. and Arizona next week against the Dodgers and Diamondbacks. I'm starting him. The litmus test, you know. If you can't start a guy in a two-start week, shouldn't be on your roster. I think Steven Matz should be on your roster. I think you should start him in a two-start week. I, you know, he's not great, but I also don't think he's terrible. He's not a must-start. He's probably more of a usually. Let me see where I have him. Got him in the usually start tier at, at pitcher 49. He'll probably move back down. I, I'd move him up from 61 to 49 there, but that was still usually start either way. I'll probably move him to like the the top of the, the spot start tier because there's going to be some folks moving into the usually start tier. I understand if you want to spot uh, Mats for some, for some starts and, and kind of bench him here and there. Two start weeks, you got to go with him, though. So he'll be in the shallow uh, spot start. All right, and then Jason Vargas, LOL. All right, the Yankees. Uh, Yankees win. Okay, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I didn't talk. And yet here I am talking for two hours, and you are listening. <laughs> Who's the sucker now? Yankees. Triple A rotate. Oh wait, no, this is their. Ro- oh wow, this is their major league one. I'm kidding. Actually, that's been the one thing for all the injuries that they've had. I'm not saying they haven't had any to the rotation because they've actually had two major ones with uh, with Severino and then James Paxton getting hurt after seven starts. Um, but you know the rotation hasn't really had to dip into the minors and and just start pulling up anybody who's breathing. The rotation's been an asset. And 
I'll start with Paxton. He's slated to return soonish. Uh, yep, this this week, in fact. Let me pull up the latest news just so we're just so we're current. That included a drink there. That it didn't take me that long to look it up, guys. Stop, stop laughing at you. Think I know you think it took me that long to look it up. I was taking a drink. God, you guys are rude. He threw a twenty-inch bullpen on twenty-inch. He threw a twenty-inch bullpen. He was just hucking it in there, full, full, uh, full power at twenty inches. Could you imagine being the catcher on that? That'd be tough. He did hit four hundred miles an hour though. Uh, he threw a 20-pitch bullpen on Sunday. The news before that said he feels a little bit discomfort in the left knee but still plans to return next week. That was on May 18th, next week being this week, and he's temporarily penciled in to go at KC on Friday for James Paxton. Um, you know, he's been great, plain and simple. He's been awesome. It sucked that he got hurt. Uh, that kind of undercut what was you know, the start of an excellent season. I know I was concerned. My concerns this year have been slightly alleviated in, in that I legitimately worried about the home run spike last year. And I was saying, if I, if I don't see something that tells me that he's going to bring those home runs back down, that I'm going to be really leery of him. I, st- I started to see earlier early that I thought his command was there for Paxton and that he was going to be able to not not keep that same home run rate from last year despite moving to a more difficult park. So I started to move him up in, you know, right away. Even after in fact the funny thing was he's allowed three homers all year and they've been at Baltimore and Houston in his second and third starts of the year. He hasn't allowed a single home run at home. So I've been encouraged by that. I've been moving him up, up and up. He's eighth uh as of my most recent rankings. Then of course he got hurt, but he'll be back you know, barring something crazy, he should be back in time for my next rankings. And he's going to be right around there again. I mean, James Paxton has a 34% strikeout rate. He's cut the home runs. He has good team support, which is crazy. You would think like, oh, maybe that's compromised team support because of all their injuries. Nope. (laughs) They now lead the AL East 29 and 17, third best record in the division or in the league, excuse me. Insane. So Paxton's a beast. Uh, Let's talk about Domingo Herman. Yes, love Domingo Herman. Very happy with uh, with how the season of Domingo Herman has panned out. You know, there's injuries are not something you ever root for. I hope you don't. Seriously, if you do, you, you suck. Like you, you're you're garbage. Don't don't do that. That's just not cool. Um, but when when they happen, sometimes there can be a silver lining. You know, something where you're like, okay, this sucks, but it does open up the door for this interesting player and so the Severino injury did suck but it opened up the door for Domingo Herman, and he was somebody that I did like but then when they went and got Paxton and re-signed Hap I was like well that sucks Herman's not going to get a chance at least at the outset of the season and you know pitching did its thing pitching was pitching and so injuries struck and all of a sudden hey now he is going to get an opportunity right at the outset of the season and then I remember some folks were saying, well, yeah, but I'm not really going to be buying in on him because he's going to have a short-term uh, short-term chance. This is where I completely diverted away from folks. And I will regularly, when it's a talented player, uh, getting an opportunity for injury. You don't know the timetable. We don't. 
like they'll tell us timetables. We're, we're naturally skeptical of those on this show. Even if the timetable is true and that player comes back, if the player you believe in performs to the level that you think they can, that timetable will not matter. That injury will not matter. That player will find his spot more often than not. Now, did I think that Domingo Herman was going to put up a two and a half ERA with 52 strikeouts and 50 in a third? Yes, of course I did. I predicted that in March. You idiots don't listen. I was completely projecting. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, of course I didn't think he'd be this good, but I really liked that he was a major swing and miss guy. I thought, don't worry about how long he's going to get an opportunity. There's James Paxton who does, who doesn't stay healthy. Uh, Jay Happ is old Masahiro Tanaka. Don't worry about that part of it. And I, that felt to me like the biggest reservation in drafting Domingo Herman was that folks weren't, were concerned that he would only have a, a limited time to pedal his wares. Nope. He's been great, and now he's not going anywhere. Major breakout season. He's been an absolute beast. 13% swinging strike rate is fueling a 26% strikeout rate, 8% on his walks. His home runs have come way down. Now, part of that is an 8% homer to fly ball rate, but I don't always regress a, a homer to fly ball rate. I think, you know, if you want to move it back to like 10%, which is league average, that's fine. But he's doing things to influence this too it's not just happening and herman's standing idly by he's getting more pop-ups he's obviously pitching a hell of a lot better so i would not regress this back to the 16 percent of last year or even the 13 percent of of domingo herman's career because he's not pitching like that so i don't really understand why you would want to do that so the obvious question is what's what's the rest of the year look like and because, you know, he had a 5.57 ERA last year and a 133 whip, and even his little 14-inning sample in 2017, he did have a 3.14 ERA, but it was with a 140 whip. The projections are not kind. They're all kind of sitting mid-fours with a low 1.3s whip, except for the bat. Again, I think I think Derek brings in more of the current year, which allows him to be ahead of of these like breakouts, like when they start breaking out, I think that starts to get baked in quicker. I, I I could be wrong on that. And then I could be wrong in assuming that steamer and zips don't do the same. They, they may all do do that, but even Derek, even the bat has a one five Homer nine, the rest of the way. And I just, I just don't see that. Uh, I, that doesn't make sense to me unless Domingo Herman just loses his way completely. Put him at, you know, put him at conservatively. Let's put him at a 1, 1.1, something like that. Okay, that's fine. I'll move the ERA up a full run. I'll say 350, 360 area with a crap ton of strikeouts and a great team supporting him that's only going to get better. He's already got an MLB best eight wins. I think they're going to continue to support him. as, Like I said, as they get more guys back, they're going to get even better. I'm in on Herman Now, part of it is... I will freely admit, right? I liked him to start the year, so I am just sticking with him. Okay, but why would I jump off, right? Or why why would I preach some extreme caution if I believed in him coming into the year? I don't understand why I would, you know, be overly aggressive on the regression uh, of what what's going to happen to Domingo Herman. So this is one where I would consider buying high. It's not a flawless profile. Um, you know, what if you got a three, eight 
a 3-8-125 with, uh, you know, nine strikeouts, a strikeout per inning the rest of the way. That wouldn't be great. But whatever you're you're likely to pay for Herman wouldn't be too far from that either. Now, I, I wouldn't put that as the downside, right? Uh, trying to find a downside for a pitcher is hilarious. We don't know. When we're talking about a floor, we're saying barring catastrophe. Because any pitcher can go awry and, and completely melt down and put up like a 7 ERA and then they're on the IL before you know it. So when we're talking about something like on the low end, we mean assuming things do not go completely off the rails where they get hurt, lose a pitch, etc., etc. So I think if we're looking at, at, at something like that, like an upper threes with a mediocre whip and, and still good strikeouts and win probability, what do you what you know what do you have to pay for Herman in the market? If you guys have done any Domingo Herman trades, either you've dealt him or bought him. Let me know. I'd like to know what the market is right now because it's interesting, right? There might be a Yankee tax out there. He's been absolutely electric. At the same time, you know, he's 26 years old. Really kind of came out of out of nowhere to to a substantial degree here, right? You know, he's a prospect, et cetera, et cetera. He's not a complete out of nowhere nobody, but he wasn't some super heralded prospect that's finally click, clicking. I'm I'm very very curious here. Sorry, I'll stop rambling on her mom, but I'm very curious. Um, Tanaka, I don't have a whole lot to say on him. He is a he is pretty much a set it and forget it sort of guy. He's gonna have his ebbs and flows, but he's gonna find his level by the end of the year, and it's gonna be pretty darn good. Um, you know, home runs. It's weird. Again, I, I talked about this with Odorizzi. If if the only thing you told me about this year was that home runs were going to soar, I would have had some concerns about Tanaka because he's he's a big time home run guy, and yet here he is with his best home run rate in three years at one point two after one point eight and one point four the two years before that. Strikeouts are still fine, uh, walk rate's always good, so it helps keep the whip down. He's got three hundred ninety ERA, which is good. He'll probably be closer to three seventy the rest of the way, but you just put him in your lineup and. You don't really worry about it. I don't think you try to curate starts with Masahiro Tanaka. You just roll with it. CC's a five and dive kind of guy, but in the league format where he's viable, you know, which is pretty much any, but maybe a t- ten teamer. I feel you could spot him on a two start week, but you're not you're not you're not starting him all the time. He does have a two ninety seven ERA, so cr- credit to CC on that. It's not believable in terms of uh, the underlying skills not at all in fact 18% strikeout 8% walk only a 9% swinging strike rate um, I mean he is getting some good chases decent 34% chase rate home run to fly ball rate is at 18% he should be allowing a lot more home runs that oh actually he is 2.2 holy shit he already is allowing them oh here we go 198 Babbitt that's going on up you know, you plan for like a 450 the rest of the way, which is six and six and three, of course. Now he doesn't go six very often, so you know it's more of like every once in a while he's going to give you that. But for the most part, he's probably five and two or five and three. So it's it's vol- the ERA is volatile because like one run can be so damaging when you're only going five all the time. So that's kind of CC Sabathia, and then J Hap. J-Hap looked like a, um, the the rich man's version of what I discussed earlier with uh, with Yuli Shasin. Now, their profiles are not the same. 
He's not riding a slider. What I mean, only thing I mean by that is a veteran pitcher who's been really solid for a while. In fact, it's been even longer for Hap, but like really solid. You're a little skeptical of him because he's kind of old and 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 a little bit boring. But you're just kind of going to trust that the volume's going to be there and the quality's going to be there at the end. You just set it and forget it with with Hap. Well. He's got a 516 ERA and a 130 whip because he's allowing 2.2 homers per nine. They're through the roof. I remember there that was a, a concern for some folks coming into the year was his home run rate was already bad last year with the Jays. He comes to uh, the Yankees, gives up 1.4 homers per nine, yet finagles a 269 nice ERA out of it, strikes out a bunch of guys, but doesn't really have a swinging strike rate that fully supports a 26% mark so what's that going to do this year at age 36 and what it's going to do is 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 be bad it's gonna be really bad uh 18 strikeout rate six percent walk it's been tough right now and the homers make it really difficult to have any confidence in j-hap of late he had a couple good starts going where he wasn't killing you and then gets clobbered at baltimore and what did he do he allowed two homers with that so he had a 270 era for five starts um, but even during then, he had allowed five homers in, in 30 innings. So it's like, dude, could you ever just not allow homers? Nope. So I don't really trust Hap. I uh, I wouldn't want him really at all right now. He's somebody that I I, I got to watch him kind of do it from the waiver wire. Now, he's, he's, on, he's on a team in a lot of leagues because he's on the Yankees and he's had this quality track record. But as far as like trading for him, nope. I'm not. I'm not buying low here. Uh, I'm too worried. I'm too nervous. It's not like this home run rate is out of nowhere. Now at 2.2, it's a little bit out of nowhere. He hasn't. He hasn't toted home run rates like that. But J. Happ has always been a homer guy, and I just don't buy it. So it's a no for me, dog. All right, and our last team as we eclipse the two-hour mark. Actually, we're two two oh eight into this bish. Uh, are the Oakland Athletics, and I will spare you too much longer because they just don't have much intrigue at all. And I, I probably did waste some extra time. And again, I hope you didn't totally hate this, even though it went super long. I, I, I should have been a, a little bit tighter on some of these teams that just don't have enough to care about. But just to give you an idea of where I'm at on Oakland, only two of their guys made my my May rankings, which had a hundred and. 25 guys in them. So this really should be quick. Mike Fires, you threw a no-hitter. Sick, dude. That's awesome. I enjoyed watching it. I was rooting for you. You're gone. Aaron Brooks, you're gone. Uh, Brett Anderson, you got hurt yesterday. Daniel Mangden, sick mustache. And that's about all I got. Um, Marco Estrada, you're gone. So that leaves... Chris Bassett and Frankie Montas. Those two are the two that did make the list. They actually have some intrigue. Chris Bassett striking out the world right now. 30% strikeout rate thanks to an improved uh, 11% swinging strike rate up from 7%. That's kind of interesting. Now, 11% doesn't quite support uh, you know, a 30% mark. It's, you know, it's it's in it's in earshot of that. But even if you you go the aggressive route cuz we say the shorthand is like two 2 to 2.5x of a swinging strike rate. I always learned it as 2. Nick Pollock was the one who kind of told me you can kind of go up to 2.5, and, and that, that's that's realistic uh, in the right scenario. So even if we go to the 2.5, we're 
We're still not getting there on an 11% uh, for Chris Bassett to have a 30% strikeout rate. So this is suspect. He's also allowing a boatload of homers, 1.4, but a 216 BABIP and all those strikeouts have allowed him to have a 193 ERA and .92 whip. So that's great for Bassett. What's the sustainability here? This has been five starts. Let's see what the uh, competition looks like. Texas, okay. Toronto, easy. At Pittsburgh, easy. And that wasn't even a great start. Home to Cincy, okay. And then at Detroit, decimated them. Like, it's been a pretty easy lineup so far. And I do, this is definitely coming back to earth. But where, you know, where is that level? He did put up 48 innings of a 302 ERA and a 124 whip last year, not with near the strikeouts, but it was a 20% rate. Uh, you know, I don't really. And then it was 611 the year before that in 28 innings, 356, 394. He's been mostly good throughout his career. I would take his career baseline, 358, 131 ERA whip, and work from there. If he can maintain some of these strikeout gains, and with the swing and strike rate, I mean, that that helps give believability to it. Not necessarily at a 30% clip, but I, I would take a 23, 24% clip from Chris Bassett. You know, the velo's up. There's some believability here from this 30-year-old. And again, his career marks are not so bad that that you have to say, oh, this is going to implode and be the worst thing ever. He's been picked up in you know pretty much every league of note. Uh, you might be able to still stream him in 10-teamer. Um, keep an eye out, though. If he has that first collapse start and somebody just says, oh, forget this. I knew it was fake. I just had to kind of ride it out. You might want to jump in. Because I think that there's a little something here with Chris Bassett. Now, he gets Cleveland today at Cleveland. That's an easy outing. But then goes uh, double home starts against the Angels and Houston. And I already told you how the Angels, believe it or not, are the second best team against uh, righties with WRC Plus at 118. The best team is Houston at a 127 mark. They're lapping the field. If Bassett comes out alive of next week's two-step against those two teams, I'll give him a lot of love for that, and I'll move him up the rankings a a healthy bit. Like That's a really strong test. He's at 84 right now, Chris Bassett is, in the the shallow spot start tier. If he came out standing tall on that and had two good starts, I would at the very least move him near the top of that tier, which is top 70. I might even inch him into the usually start tier because that would be super impressive. So I'm keeping a close eye on Bassett. And then last, to finish this off, is Frankie Montas. I remember seeing Montas years ago at the Arizona Fall League. He was still with the White Sox. That I believe that's his original ball club. And, you know, just pumping. Oh, no, Boston is. I forgot about that. Was that the Jake Peavy deal? No, hang on. Let me see what deal that was. Oh, that was that. It was. It was the Jake Peavy deal. God, I'm a genius. <laughs> uh, Tigers sent Avisal Garcia. That Yeah, it was a three-way deal with the Tigers. And, dude, why didn't the Tigers get him? Instead, they got, oh, you know, they got Jose Iglesias. He was pretty good for the Tigers. Let's be real. He 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 was pretty good for the Tigers. Um, Jose Iglesias was really sharp defender. But anyway, so they went from Chicago 
to the Dodgers by way of a another three-way trade, and then to the Dodgers, from the Dodgers to the A's with Jarrell Cotton and Grant Holmes for Rich Hill and Josh Reddick. So Frankie Montas, former prospect, obviously been desired uh, throughout his career. You know, it's that balance of like, are they traded because teams are giving up on him or traded because teams are willing to give something big for him because they like him? Um, I don't think there's any definitive uh, thoughts on, on a guy being traded multiple times as a problem or or if it's good. I've only heard it more in the context of being bad, but I think that's just pure speculation. People assume that getting rid of somebody, you know, they assume that they're getting rid of them as opposed to trading a, a key asset. But anyway, he showed some flashes last year, three, 388 ERA with a 146 whip though. Really what he seemed to do was trade command and, and, and raw stuff for some control. He'd always walked too many guys Frankie Montas had. He had a walk rate of 13% coming into 2018, cuts it down to 7%, but loses his strikeout rates and just gives up a crap ton of hits to go with it. 10.3 hits per nine, 15% strikeout rate. So it seemed like, can I work in the zone here and survive? Well, 388 ERA is certainly surviving, but the 146 whip made it hard to care about it for fantasy, especially with no strikeouts. Well, this year, he seems to have started to put back some of the pieces, hold some of the gains from last year, and bring back some of the pieces from earlier in his career when Montas was a nice swing and miss guy. So now his swinging strike rate's up back up to 11%, giving him a 23% strikeout rate. The walk rate's actually improved from 7% to 5%, and his hit rate's at a much more palatable 8.3 per 9. Um, and he's really getting the ball on the ground a whole bunch. We've talked about it on this show. Just because the ground ball rate is high doesn't mean it's inherently good. But in this instance, it certainly is working. And and you do like it. And um, I think the Oakland defense, uh, Chapman's obviously an absolute beast. Marcus Simeon has turned himself into a plus. Jerickson Profar has been pretty, pretty blah. Um, I know he's had the yips, but so we wouldn't count him as a major plus. And now Matt Olson's back, and I believe he's a strong defender. As far as the walk rate improvements, 63% first pitch strike rate. And that's up from 59% last year. So he's getting ahead more often. His zone rate is not up. In fact, it's down four ticks from 45 to 41. But at least the first pitch strike rate is up. And he's also got a 36% chase rate. That's what I mean by how his nastiness is coming back too for Frankie Montas. He's really working this splitter well. This has been kind of a game changer for him. So the slider splitter has allowed him to get away from his fastball, which is very, very fast, but a little bit too hittable and and or wild. So I think what we're seeing here with, with Montas is some true development that's really making him an intriguing fantasy asset. Obviously, he's owned in every league where it would matter. I guess check the waiver wire in your 10-teamers, but I doubt it because he certainly shouldn't be. I mean, he's been so good so far this year through nine starts that I just, come on. You, you can't be playing with nine folks who are asleep at the wheel here. But um, as far as what he can do the rest of the year, I think there's some real believability in Frankie Montas having a breakout season. I would probably put his rest of the season projection into the high, th- like high threes. Now, all the projection systems have low fours. That's encouraging. They're seeing some development as well. And they're going off of, you know, uh, his career and saying, okay, 
you know, there's something here. The whip is going to be the key. Can he maintain these these hit gain, these hit per nine gains, and these walk gains? And can Frankie Montas deliver a quality whip? Because I would even take last year's 3.88 ERA the rest of the way, as long as it came with a 120 or better whip and some strikeouts. But if he starts allowing a bunch of hits again, that's where I would be a little bit nervous. But I'm really intrigued by Montas. Uh, he's been sharp. I I, I have him at the um, 73 spot. He's in the shallow shallow spot start area. He might move into the usually start with these gains. I think right now you have a hard time taking out of your line, taking him out of your lineup. Montas goes to Cleveland this week, uh, tomorrow in fact, and then gets the Angels on Tuesday of next week. Uh, let me see here. I was kind of counting the days to see. Oh no, Bassett gets the two start the following week. So anyway, Frankie Montas is going to wrap it up here. That's the second ten teams. I will not go to twenty for the third. 10 teams. I, I'm sorry, this got away from me a little bit. I knew when I spent 20 minutes on, on Houston that we were in trouble. But again, a lot of you guys seem to like these long long teams. And plus with this, with it being like individual teams and I'll timestamp the teams, this can be listened to over a longer period of time. So hopefully you enjoyed this. Appreciate y'all listening. I'll be back with the other one here within the next handful of days. Uh, like I said, I think it gives me until Saturday uh, that I would get all three within a 10-day period, which is what I'm aiming for. So, all right. Thanks for listening. Peace.